0: Welcome to Radio Free Nintendo, episode 321. I'm your host, Jonathan Metz, and with me as always... Are James Jones.
1: I am a here.
0: Guillaume Vayette. Oh. And the Pokemaster himself, John Lindemann.
2: Back from the dead and ready to party, Johnny.
0: So good to have you back, John.
2: It's good to be back. Uh,
0: so, for those of you who are new to the podcast, <laughs> who have
2: started <laughs> listening in the last year and a half, who are you? That's my first question.
0: John is the uh, fourth member of our regular uh, crew, but he took a, a hiatus. Yeah. Sabbatical? So, yeah, yeah, sabbatical. That's neither a, of
1: which are words he knows. Sabbatical
0: mm-hmm. is a much more professorial word for uh, what he did, and uh, we're very happy to have you back, John. And you're planning to be around for uh, ever, for for every show. for forever. Yeah.
2: Yes, I'm. I'm actually <laughs> learning how to prolong my lifespan so that it can extend yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, of years into the future. Yeah,
0: you went on a Christmas vacation to Transylvania. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. it. I I have been transformed. Um, I'm now a vampire. It, as
3: if you couldn't be any sexier. You were already drinking blood, so it's just a natural <laughs> evolution.
2: <laughs> hey, you know it's uh, it, it tastes good. You know, what can I say? It's just my flavor.
0: John, I know you've uh, you, the reason you took took off from the show for a while is because you were getting slammed with work, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully that's better now <laughs> that you've yes. committed to. Uh, to being around m- more often and, and more uh, regularly. but Well, uh, did well you get...
1: let's evaluate his performance on the show before we decide if that's better. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how this goes first.
2: Well, I mean, uh, you let me back on the show, so I'm assuming that my past performance was at least... You know. Etiquette. Oh, you're
0: you are always welcome here, John Lindeman.
2: Okay. Always. Well, you say that, Johnny, James, and Gia. I don't necessarily hear a huge vote of confidence on their part. They're mostly that's my silent. call
0: for for now for the time being. That's up to me. So yeah. I say yes, yes, more John.
2: Well, I mean, at this point, my my time is already well spent because I've I've been able to make an RG3 knee joke. Fuck so, so. you. <laughs> I've already had a chance to <laughs> sing James about that one. So. <laughs>
0: Well, you're also here to talk about games, of course. We're going to get to that in just a quick sec, but I do want to remind everyone that our predictions are coming up in the second half of the show. That was, I, I, for a while, I wasn't sure if we were going to do them. I was like, does anyone listen to that? Does anyone really care? And a bunch of people came out of the woodwork and said, yes, we love the predictions. You must do the predictions. So we waited for John to come back, and uh, we're going to do those in the second half of the episode, and that should be real stupid. So. <laughs> Don't worry, it was last year.
1: <laughs> look forward to it. Yeah,
0: we're gonna we're gonna do a recap of last year that will be shameful. Looking forward <laughs> to that, and uh, I even have a I even have a, a very brief commentary from Greg Leahy on our performance <laughs> from last year. So it's our look worst to that year second to date. Segment. Uh, We're gonna kick off with new business, of course. And John, I know you probably didn't get to play as many games as you would like. During your time off from the podcast, as as we all have discovered, doing the podcast actually makes you play more games because yes. you want to have something to talk about. So I'm sure you'll be getting back into it and clearing through that backlog and, uh, you know, unwrapping games and all that good stuff. But <laughs> why don't you tell us about some of the games that you did get to play since you were last on the show?
2: Well, I mean, one of the kind of ongoing projects, um, you know, late to the party as usual here, but uh, Super Mario 3D Land was one of those games where it was kind of on my... Uh, I mean, at this point, I can't even really call it a, a pile of shame. It's more like a mountain of shame or, you know, a hall it's of... It's the Mount it,
1: Doom of shame. Yeah, yes. I can't even
2: call it like a hall of shame. It's more like a, I don't know. Like, I don't <laughs> know, It's more shame. like a planet uh, yeah, made like a up planet, entirely of you know. games of shame. So, yeah, yeah, and it was kind of on my, you know... Know. Ironically not including Katamari Damacy. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! It was it was on, on the pile just because I'd I had played through it about halfway. Um and, you know, so I'd kind of technically beaten it, but you know not really. Yeah. I hadn't played but all the not way through. Really. So. Yeah. so I powered all, all the way through to the end of uh, special the special worlds. Um and it, it was I mean it was fun. I really enjoyed it all the way through. The the only the only problem I had with it I really enjoyed it up to about halfway through Special World Six, and at that point, <laughs> they really started to just rehash the same things over and over again. It just felt like every single every single area that I played was like, "You are, you know, you're you have to, you know, kill things to get the the, the time clocks to extend your time. You're while being chased by, you know, Shadow Mario. Um, you and know, you have just to
0: get all the red coins. They yeah. do kind of start to stack things. There's one level yeah. in particular where it feels like they've put, like, three different horrible restrictions on you uh, mm-hmm. that you – and, like, the, the level's auto-scrolling or some bullshit, yeah. you know. And it's – at some point, it feels really kind of cruel, the, the stuff that they're doing to you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or you have to – you know, the the tiles underneath you fall away as you walk across them while you're being mm-hmm. chased by Shadow Mario and you have to get the clocks because you're time gated. It's just, after a while, they just keep doing that every single time. And it's kind of like, couldn't you have thought up something new at the end of the game? You know, instead of just stacking stuff to make it harder, couldn't you have actually thought up more challenging ways to play through it? So that was, that was a big thing with that. So, um, so I actually, it's one of those rare games where I actually liked it more, probably about three quarters of the way through than I did when I got a hundred percent through.
1: Yeah, that's but, some that's some old green star stuff from Galaxy and Galaxy Two though. Yeah. It's like, alright, yeah. now you have to step on the platforms without stepping on one twice. Also you're being chased by fireballs. Also there's a time limit. Also there's a ton of purple coins.
2: Yeah. Yep. I just felt like it was just, you know, it was kind of it kind of just got to be the same thing over and over again. Now the one question I would have for the group is is it worth playing through as Luigi?
4: I,
3: no. I, all you will do is unlock one last level, right? <laughs> right. So the, the only
0: reason to play through it as Luigi is if you're really trying to get that very last level. I've heard the last level is amazing. I'm actually still working on it myself. I'm probably about 80 or 90% of the way there. There's just a few extra – there's a couple more extra worlds I have to go through as one of the characters. I don't remember. And mm-hmm. get all the flags. But you also have to get to the top of the flagpole on every level with both characters. Yes, and wow. get every star coin. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. A, it's stupid. It's a ton of because I mean, I guess the goal is they want to make sure that you actually play all the levels and really master all the levels before they yeah. give you this super difficult, very final, super secret level. But they make you do it with both characters, which is super stupid because they're yeah they're pre- they're not that different, and so really they're just making you do everything twice. Well, it's it's yeah. like
1: unlocking the last stage in the Galaxy games. It's just it's just unnecessarily difficult.
3: I, I think that perhaps you're supposed to approach it more casually. I mean, maybe that seems like a contradiction since it's, it's, the game gets so hard. But, uh, at some point, someone might want to pick the game back up and try to play through it again. And then you have the option mm-hmm. to play as Luigi. And then you have, you know, like the super secret level that few people see.
2: Yeah. Which is exactly what I would do. If I played it again, I would play it as Luigi. Yeah, you know? and
3: that's that's kind of what I've
0: been doing, although more in a piecemeal fashion. Like I, yeah, I never really stopped playing Mario 3D land. I just kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. So but but even now, every every month or two, I'll pick it back up and play for an hour, you know, and get that yeah. much closer to unlocking that crazy final level that everybody says is so ridiculous. Yeah, so I'll it was... do it eventually.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's why it worked for me is because it's very good for you know you can play it for an hour or so and you know maybe you'll beat a few areas and you know you know just go about your day kind of thing. Um, I think I'm I only have a couple of star coins to get. There's a couple I I wasn't able to get on my first way through. I I I typically did try to get all three, but mm-hmm. some of them it was just I I was just beating my head against a wall and I just moved on. Th-
3: that's the thing about the game though because. Uh... It would be good to have a warning beforehand when you're playing as Mario that you probably shouldn't try to get all the coins the first time, or that you shouldn't start over a yeah. level because you didn't, because you're going to have to start over anyway, eventually, if you play as Luigi.
2: So the, the the coin count completely resets as Luigi? No, no, it doesn't. Okay, okay, I, I okay, mean, okay. like, okay. instead
3: of, if you don't know about the Luigi stuff, some people, mm-hmm. like myself, will end up playing through levels three times instead of two. Yeah. <laughs> so it's even yeah. more work.
1: Or four times yep. instead of two.
3: Yeah, Mario and Luigi
0: share coins, and some of them might be a little bit easier to get with Luigi. Yeah, that's or, what I'm thinking. Or if you're gonna play through the whole game again as Luigi, you might as well you might as well wait to cl- clean up the star coins because you're gonna play through that level again anyway.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah I mean I, that's the thing. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have tried so hard to get all those coins if I would have known I would have had to go literally all the way through every single place, every single area with Luigi. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, but I mean I enjoyed that and you know now I'm kind of my 3DS, uh, I'm kind of wondering what to do with it. I'm I'm I have a hankering for New Super Mario Bros 2. I have a hankering, a burning desire in my soul to get New Super Mario Bros 2. So that's probably going to happen sometime soon. Um I'm just kind of in the mood for a 2D sort of Mario game and you know, I love having them, I love having them uh, on the handheld so I can, you know, just pick them up and put them down whenever.
0: Okay, well, so. I was going to I was going to just uh, just about to ask because I feel strongly and I don't think many people will argue with this that uh Mario U is better than Mario 2 on 3DS. Mm-hmm. But uh you don't have a Wii U yet, do you?
2: No, I don't have a Wii U uh okay. right now and I'm probably not going to be getting one for a while. Um I might get one in March, maybe around uh, Monster Hunter time. I'm not sure. But oh, Okay, uh, I
0: was going to ask, what do you think is the what well, is the killer title that would push you over the edge?
2: I don't know, Monster Hunter maybe, but from what I'm hearing about Monster Hunter, it just it sounds sort of like really Monster not Hunter? too much. Yeah, I mean it's Monster Hunter, but I mean it's not really too much of an upgrade over the original Try.
1: So no, it's just it's just Monster Hunter again.
2: Yeah, it's like
0: Try plus plus.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's like Try plus. Yeah, I mean it's the most ridiculous porting scheme I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It is. It is the most Capcomist game ever. Yeah. Well they
0: did improve it when they put it on three D S, and then they did improve it when they put that version on Wii U.
1: I know. Yeah. But it it's it's still as capcom y as you could be about porting yeah. stuff.
0: But it's still Monster Hunter three, which you've played a shit ton of on Wii.
2: Yeah. Now I, I do have um I do have it pre ordered for three DS, but the thing is with three D S, it really kinda of burned me to learn that you couldn't that you weren't gonna be able to play online. It kinda of mm. burned me.
1: That is that is Weird and unnecessary yeah. because the yeah. system supports online. There's no reason yeah. it, to dick out of it. I mean, it, it, it the doesn't reason is because well.
0: Japan people wouldn't have used it anyway.
1: Yeah, I guess. But, so the
0: the reason they make the console versions online is because you can't do like local multiplayer on a console. Yeah. So if you're gonna play multiplayer at all on a console, it has to be online.
4: Yeah. So they
0: support it with online, but in but the portable games in Japan, they're so popular to just get together and play them over wireless locally that for Capcom, it's not really worth the effort to make them online.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's the thing, though. I really don't want to... I'm never going to probably find anybody in my area to play that game with. No. So it just makes it... I don't know. It's not nearly as appealing as it would be if I could just go online, see who's online playing Monster Hunter on my 3DS, and just hop on. That would be amazing. I would play the hell out of that game. So, yeah. I mean, so I'm not too sure exactly when I'm going to get a Wii U. I mean, it's in the plans. It's just a question of a question of when. I also I also kind of might wait until E3 to see if Nintendo sort of drops the price at all. Um and and the reason why I say that is because, you know, the you know, 350 bucks for the one that I'm going to get. I don't know if they're going to drop the basic one or what. I'm just not too sure. I don't think that their pricing is completely it's completely what they want right now, so I think they might do something with that at E3.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we'll have a prediction on that topic, later <laughs> possibly. In <the>
2: show. Possibly. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, I kind of walked into that inadvertently, but that was not.
1: I predict John walked into that inadvertently. <laughs> <laughs> My God, I you're don't
2: a think you know teller. what "predict" means, oh, yeah. James. <laughs> <laughs> James can see the future. So, John, uh, <laughs> what else you
0: been playing lately?
2: I've also um, been playing uh, Black Ops Two. Um, put it down for a little while, kind of, uh, over Christmas, I haven't played too much, but at first I, I was, you know, cause I, I did wind, wind up getting both Halo 4 and Black Ops 2 and I was kind of curious to see, I was originally going to only get one or the other, but you know, Hey, whatever, it's me. So I, so I got Black Ops 2 and it's, it's, it's interesting. It's actually, I, I really didn't like the first Black Ops. Um, I just really didn't think it was that great. I didn't play it online very much at all. Um. And it just really didn't impress me. It really didn't like – I didn't like the guns. I wasn't really – I didn't really care too much about the whole 1960s thing. Um, You know, I, I like more of the more, like, futuristic, like, leaning more towards, like, Halo-style guns um, mm-hmm. or stuff that's kind of, like, near-future sort of stuff like that Um because so, I was a big fan of, of Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3. So I picked up Black Ops kind of, you know, I, I, I think – to me, probably, they they were doing... I figured that they were doing enough stuff that seemed, you know, kind of forward-thinking or interesting, um, like, kind of like they have, like, the League mode in there. They, so I figured that they were doing enough stuff that I would, I would give it a chance, and it was getting some pretty good reviews. I mean, I expect games like this in these long-running franchises to typically get, you know, 8.5s or 8s or, or whatever, and I don't expect anybody to be like, oh my god, this is the most amazing thing ever, because, you know, over time, you have various camps that just, you know, kind of... Learn to hate any certain long standing franchise, and then you have certain camps that completely love it. So it's kind of over time, it gets harder and harder to actually get an unbiased look at any franchise like this.
1: I think it becomes difficult to review the games individually because yeah, there's only going to be so much change between them. And after a certain number of years, some reviewers just get kind of eh, about them. Yeah. And then there are people who are so ingrained in the game that it's like, oh, it's great, it's the best game ever, regardless yep. of the individual game's merits.
2: But uh, but yeah, so with Black Ops Two, um, the story is I don't know. There's a bad guy. He's a terrorist. He kills people. I don't <laughs> know. You you go all over the world. It's it's nothing new. Um, but what I what I did like about the campaign was the the strike team um, parts of it, where uh, this was something where where it was completely confusing to me when I first played it. Um, but you have a choice between sort of moving around uh, um, your various uh, your various. Men on the field kind of thing like you you could you basically you command a strike team and you can also command like the vehicles that they use they have like these little things called claws which are kind of like mini at at walkers that you know you can put, you can put on the ground and they can march forward and shoot down enemy troops and stuff and so you have various various little like you know uh kind of vehicles like that that you can deploy uh you know to take out enemy forces and you can do that from an overhead grid, so this kind of has sort of a you know real time strategy element to it and but the cool thing is that you can also zoom in to a first person view and actually you can take command of pretty much anything on the field including these claw units including you know your your actual troops um so it's pretty cool because you can if if your troops aren't doing very well in one area then you can jump down and take control of you know one of the guys to you know start taking out the enemy on on your own which is really really neat and so the first time i played one of those i was like i don't even i don't know what the hell i was doing I was getting my butt kicked. But as I became more adept at them, was, I actually enjoyed it. I was, that was what I enjoyed most in the campaign. You know, because, you know, for the first person shooting part of it, it's really kind of, you know, it's pretty much the same. It's a lot, just waves and waves of enemies. Um, You know, some set pieces, you know, boom, you know. Stuff
1: blow up. Stuff blow up, get people shot. get
2: killed. Yep, you know, everything is very epic. Black Ops is, the, they do, the the movement in the last couple of games has been towards more and more kind of, epic set pieces that you can – that look good on TV, you know, like guys jumping out of a plane and diving and, you know, planes planes blowing up below them and, you know, fire you know, like for the flying by them. Yeah. A lot of that Ugh. stuff. It's it's very – it's just a lot of the stuff in it now is very um very impactful, you know, so it's sort of like by the end of the game, you're just like, all right, you just want to put down the joystick and go and sit in a quiet corner. <laughs> but – you know that's uh, that, i thought that was really uh, what impressed me about that is the fact that they actually did change something up and do something different and new it's actually the first time i've seen that in a first person shooter for a long time where there's been legitimately something new in the campaign and there's also um branching areas of the campaign so that's it's pretty cool you know it gives some replay value and kind of you know makes it more than just a ho hum i'm going to you know play straight through you know on you know normal heroic whatever and then you'll be done with the campaign forever so there is some replay value there, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, in terms of online, they added the league stuff, which is, you know, you can, you know, kind of play through, you know, you, you are given... It's sort of like with StarCraft, where you play a couple of matches up front to kind of see where your skill level is at. They place you in a certain group, and then you move up the ranking based on, you know, victories and kills and stuff like that. So so that's pretty neat. You know, it's something, it's something new. It kind of um, gives you more reason to play through... The title to kind of get, you know, kind of a, a league ranking more so than just, you know, I always found it, you know, just trying to rank up in prestige and all that kind of stuff after a while. It's kind of brainless. Like you're just, you're literally doing the same thing over and over again unless you, necess- unless you switch game modes and stuff like that. But if you skew more to, towards being competitive rather than just kind of wanting like sort of mayhem and having a good time, that's probably like more Halo 4 to me. Um, you know, because, you know, Black Ops 2 is, it's You can tell over time that it's becoming more and more eSports-focused. Um, it's mm. getting more and more streamlined, and it's kind of cut and dry. You can Every game mode is, you know, there's a clear-cut winner, you know, and it's very stats-based and stuff like that, whereas Halo 4, I think, is kind of more.
0: I, I'm still excited to play Black Ops 2 on Wii U. I'm obviously yeah. not in a huge hurry to do that. The Wii U version may not be the strictly best version, but I think it's at least competitive in terms of tech, mm-hmm. uh, to maybe be the best version, you no, know? I think it's at least arguable. It's uh, yeah. certainly not the worst version. It's certainly not clearly worse than other versions. And, um, you know, I, I, I like the features that they added for the Wii U version. I like the stuff they're doing with it. And I'm not a great first-person shooter player, you know, so, yeah. like, to me... Um, being able to play in a in a little bit friendlier online community, you know, with people who are not as crazy, you know, like the yeah. the lack of the super hardcore uh, player base on on Wii U is an advantage for that version to me. Yep. Because I don't think the uh, I don't I don't I don't think the player matching in terms of skill level works in Call of Duty. In my experience yeah. on Xbox, it does not work.
2: Oh no, it doesn't. And, I don't it think doesn't. it
0: works really in any game. I've never yeah. seen a game that does that well, but it definitely doesn't work in Call of Duty. And even on Xbox, where there is no shortage of Call of Duty players online, they will yeah. still pair you up with someone who is a hundred times better than you and will just yeah. kill you every single, every single time they see you. And, um, that, that sucks.
2: Yeah. I mean, Black Ops 2 to me, I mean, when I first started playing it, because I was like, and by the time I stopped playing Modern Warfare 3, I was at the point where I could go online and I could I could have fun pretty much every time. Like you know I'd you know I was pretty much like one for one. You know I would I, I, a typical match for me would be like you know, uh, 15 kills, 15 deaths, which is fine. It's you know it's you know that's not you know, bad. I, yeah, Black <laughs> Ops 2, dude. When I first started playing that, oh my God, I was getting waxed. I mean, we're talking like uh, two kills, 21 deaths. Uh, you know, four kills, 18 deaths. I mean, to the point oh. where I almost quit. I, I was just like, this is way too hard. The matchmaking is just screwy, and I just really didn't i I didn't feel that even the, even as I played more and more, I never got a feel for exactly what I should be doing or how I should build out my guy or anything like that. It was just really tough. Mm-hmm. So,
0: was and was it that you got better as you played it more, or just that you gained enough experience from putting a certain amount of time into it that you unlocked the better gear and perks that made you more competitive?
2: Well, the thing is, like Black Ops Two, they have this they have this um like the, the they call it pick ten, where you can pretty much mix and match any any like y- you know any uh ten perks like guns or uh, perks whatever. So that makes it almost harder because it's it's harder to find out what a good build is, you know, in terms of what you can use. So I had to kind of hmm. do some research to find out sort of what works with what guns, like what's what's effective. Like it's just tough. Like you kind of have to like really do some research. So that's really what helped me. I can't really say that I, I don't think I got any better at the game. I just used my guns in a smarter fashion.
1: See, to me, though, that's, I find that really disheartening that it, yeah. that, you, that you being able to get good at the game had, really had not much to do with your personal progression as it did with just finding the right reward for having played the game a lot.
2: Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like the series has always been like that to a degree. It's always been like, hey, well, once you get this gun, <laughs> then you're going to really start screwing people over, right?
0: All right. Well, anyway, um, there will probably be more Call of Duty talk uh, eventually. But uh, anyway, Guillaume, why don't you go next with new business?
3: All right. So uh, over the holidays, I-, I know that I said in an earlier episode that I didn't want to get Paper Mario Sticker Star yet because I wanted to get rid of the Paper Mario game that I already own and uh, haven't started yet. But, I, I saw a deal, uh, you know, Paper Mario for $30, and I thought, well, deals on Nintendo games at retail, they don't come by that often. I had it with me over the holidays, and, you know, it was easier to start playing that than to start playing Super Paper Mario. So, uh, I've been playing for like 15 hours now, uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star. And, uh, I, I am enjoying the game, but I do have some issues with it. When I had previewed it uh at that Nintendo event I had been really you know I fell in love with the dialogue and uh I really liked the idea that the fights were more or less uh optional that you could avoid them and that there would be little to no consequences uh turns out in the, the the full game the the dialogue is still really charming and really really funny and I do think it's the strongest that the the dialogue in the series has ever been But the whole battle aspect hasn't really turned out the way I thought it would. (laughs) Because fights initially are easy to avoid, but then they get progressively harder. And at some point you're still always stuck getting into fights. And, uh, or maybe I'm just not very good at avoiding enemies. But you know, when you're trying to explore an area, you, you do have to slow down a little bit. And so that's when the enemies get you. So initially in your first run in an area, you're always going to get into pretty much every fight. And, uh, then it turns out that since you're not really gaining experience points, you're not really, uh, earning anything from those fights. And I don't think it really makes it worse than previous Paper Mario games, but it, you know, I, I'm not really enjoying it at all.
1: It takes something away from the reward system. In yeah. Times, I would think. Yeah. It just feels like some of, Pretty much any battle that's not against the boss at that point just feels superfluous. Like, you're not... No, there's nothing gained by carrying this battle out. That yeah, is true.
3: To an extent. You you gain money,
0: but you don't really need money.
3: well money, more no. problems. <laughs> I do enjoy the whole aspect of exploring the different areas. And, uh, actually, probably... I, I wouldn't have expected that, but one of my favorite things to do right now is to find the uh, secret doors. And, uh, going back to previous areas and, uh you know, putting the, the secret door stickers at the right places and finding oh, yeah. new items all over the place. And in in a way that's where the reward system is. Like for me, the dialogue is what I really like about the game. And every time you find an item, uh, you can put it in the, uh, the sticker museum where you can get a funny description for each and every one of those items. So, uh, Actually, you know, like not only do I enjoy the uh, the act of exploring each area, but I also enjoy the reward you get for it.
0: That it's interesting that you considered the description the reward because I stopped reading them pretty quickly because maybe just the first few that I put in there. Um, I read the descriptions and I wasn't very intrigued by them. And and I was hoping that um, you would get like a really detailed description of what the sticker does when you use it. That, that would, would be nice solve puzzles and beat bosses and, you know, use the, especially for the things, you know, like the vacuum Mm -hmm. cleaners and the baseball bats and all the weird stuff that you find everywhere. Because those stickers are used to solve puzzles and beat bosses and do really important things. Mm -hmm. And they're, the uses are often not very obvious. And if you're going to put one in the sticker museum, you're really giving up a lot when you go in that museum and put a sticker in, because it's going to cost you something to get that sticker back you put it in the museum, you are consuming that copy of the sticker. And now mm-hmm. you're either going to have to go back to the level where you found it and get the thing all over again, or you have to go to the store and pay a bunch of money to, uh, to buy it back. So to me, I, I got to the point where I was going to the museum just compulsively because I felt like I should fill it up. I should put every unique sticker I find in the museum because there must be a good reason. And I finally looked on GameFAQs and found out you don't really get anything for hmm. for filling up the museum. And I I definitely that didn't sucks. feel like the the per sticker reward for doing so wasn't
3: what it should be. Well, to to me, I, I think that it works out nicely because what happens is uh, I do have some items that I end up picking up over and over again because I am going back to old areas to find new things. So what happens is that I'm getting items that I've already donated to the museum. So those stickers I can use in boss battles and mm-hmm. the new items that I get, I, I just donate to the museum again and I don't really need them because my sticker book is already full and uh, I, I do agree that I, I wish that the description for these items told you what to do with them because there are some items that uh, are actually very powerful but you actually have to do something to, to make them work. For instance, there's going to be like a, a red balloon uh, uh, that you get and you have to tap A to make it explode. The chances are that you're going to lose it in the first battle And it's not gonna—you're not gonna inflate it because you're not gonna know that you were supposed to do that. But eventually, you figure it out. So I I do wish, you know, that they would tell you how to work them. But at the same time, I also appreciate the kind of little description that they give you. You know, the fact that a a, a team of uh, toad scientists got stuck doing friction tests on the balloon is pretty damn funny.
0: I, I feel like Sticker Star, to me, the, the Mario and Luigi series on GBA and DS is actually funny, like laugh out loud Mm -hmm. funny. And the Paper Mario franchise is more like, uh, when my mom goes to see, uh, like some kind of, you know, shitty romantic comedy, uh, in the theater, (laughs) you know, she'll come out of it and I'll say, Mom, how, what, I'll say, Mom, was it any good? And she'll say, it was cute. Which means that she was kind of entertained by it, but like, you know, didn't really have anything notable to say about it. And that's how I feel about the Paper Mario series. Like, it's cute, it, it's charming, but it's not actually funny.
3: Yeah, and I've always found that that's what, that was one of the reasons why I always preferred the Mario and Luigi series over Paper Mario. I thought that the previous Paper Mario games were really like sometimes, occasionally, they would make me smile and the Paper, uh, the Mario and Luigi series would actually make me laugh out loud. Uh, but mm-hmm. in this one, you know, I, I'm not really laughing out loud all that much, but I, I do think that the writing has improved and has gotten funnier and you know, like the, the game makes me smile. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. That's something.
0: Yeah, it's, it is a charming game. I mean, I, I would say the, the visual style is much more effective than the writing for me. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, just, just seeing like a toad all being, you know, looking distraught, just shaking his arms, flaying, and you go talk to him and he's like, Oh, there's a new shop that opened. Did you see it? It looks so much fun. <laughs> you know, and it's just, yeah, that, that kind of <laughs> shit makes me smile. So I, I, I just, I can't really, I, I'm not loving the game, but I, I keep playing it. I, I do think it's worth my time so far. And, uh, I guess I'm going to keep playing it until I feel otherwise, but, uh, it, it, it's it's a cute game um yeah. so i've been playing that uh but i've also okay for for i don't know why i got this game uh <laughs> i got this did dsi where a strong start hmm? yeah i know you, did, did you pay for this uh i did i did okay so, you're, you're so buying i got a DSI
0: it. where you're buying brand new DSIware games in 2013
4: <laughs> coming out, now?
3: man. <laughs> Look, I, I have no idea why I buy the stuff I buy. It's it's still a mystery. Maybe scientists one day will figure it out. But right now, I who knows wh- what makes me choose what I choose to play. I have no idea. Um, I I've bought this DSiWare game called Galaxy Saver, and perhaps I was emboldened by uh, another two dollar <laughs> eShop game that I bought that we're going to talk about later. Uh, that turned out to be actually good. Uh perhaps I I saw that there were perhaps I saw that there were no reviews on uh Uh-oh. uh on Metacritic and I was like, "Hey, maybe I can Uh-oh. write something for the site.
0: Maybe you'll be famous."
3: <laughs> you keep telling you keep telling yourself that if it lets you sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I I watched a video, I thought it looked okay, and I was feeling, you know, in the mood for a shooter. So I got Galaxy Saber. It was just $2. Uh, it's the, <laughs>
1: the two worst dollars you've ever spent.
3: Well, no. Well, the thing is, like, it, the, the game is not offensively bad. It's, it's just mediocre. And I, that's good. Let, let me explain. Okay. So y- you have this ship and you, you are defending this base and, uh, you are on the outside of this base that's circular. And so you have to fend off attacks from, you know, 360 degrees. You, you move on its surface and like attacks can come from everywhere. And, uh, so you shoot down waves of enemies for a certain time for like 60, 90, or 180 seconds. Or, um, you can also have a, uh, activate a shield and, uh, protect the base that way. Uh, you can just like let the enemies run into you, activate your shield, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna blow up and you're gonna have, you know, uh save the base from an attack um the thing is though like the game i think would be fine but it's really made in a way that uh has you grind because as you play the game uh, you've got a tree of missions and you've got like a1 b1 c1 and you can also you know have a branching path and you can take b2 instead of b1 and it's going to be a slightly harder mission right uh, but also, as you shoot down enemies and you earn ranks uh from you know d to s um you you gain points and as you gain points you gain ranks as you gain ranks you can unlock uh other ships that assist you and those ships are necessary to 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 complete some of the other missions like the harder missions you cannot even attend them uh without leveling up, basically, and getting these upgrades. And so that really rewards grinding more than it rewards getting better at the game. And uh, I really can't stand that stuff in this kind of, you know, arcadey shooter. Like, if you're going to make me play a game for a high score, I better improve that high score by getting better at the game and not because I spent enough time on it that I got this upgrade that actually allows me to you know, to face the challenges that, uh, you throw at me. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I don't know, like it's disappointing. I I find that there's a lot of these cheap, uh, shooters that use that kind of mechanic to kind of prolong the, the, the longevity of the game. And, uh, it's really not all that fun. Actually, like one of the, the, the early missions, uh, if you choose the harder path, uh, you have to destroy these asteroids, uh, crashing into the base and I've tried with my un, uh, non-upgraded ship, and it's absolutely impossible to win. At some point at the end of the mission, there's this giant asteroid that's bigger than the base you're defending. It's coming down, it's crashing on you, and shoot as much as you want, you're not gonna destroy it. And if you earn the first upgrade, uh, and you go back, then you have a chance. Then you can actually, uh, Really, like, the the mission is impossible unless you've upgraded, unless you've spent about, like, an hour trying to get the first upgrade. And I, you know, like, when you have to unlock the fun in a game, like, clearly the game is doing it wrong. Um, but yeah, like, so, uh, I don't recommend the game. It's,
0: you don't really have to not recommend DSiWare.
1: Because no one's going to play it anyway. That's right. I don't
3: know. I've got a lot of, <laughs> you know, old DSiWare games. I guess that perhaps the good stuff was more early on, back when well, yeah, better the, studios the, were the working on The developers who
0: were making the really good DSiWare games have long since moved on to Steam and e- 3DS eShop yep. and other things.
3: This is from uh, G-Style, which I think had, you know, like some of their games had got some good word of mouth. Like they usually develop these, like some of the cheaper DSiWare games, and a lot of people found them at least adequate. Like I, I remember hearing good about, you know, the GG series or whatever it's called. Um,
1: yeah, they're just because they publish some of the GG series, develop some of them. Don't take it too far because they aren't all have the same developers. Hmm. Hmm. Right. I didn't know that. Some of the games that are Go series were actually rebranded as GG series in the U.S. for some reason.
0: Because, oh, okay. you know,
3: brand recognition.
1: But there's still Ghost Series games out there too.
3: <laughs> The famous GG series. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned my lesson. The game looked like there's nothing really offensively bad about the game except for it's, you know, some basic design problems. But otherwise, it looks fine. It's just, you know, not very fun.
0: <laughs> that that's a, that's a killer. All right. Yeah. So uh, James is up next with new business.
1: Sort of. Yeah, so I have played a bit of a Steam game I picked up during the Steam sale. I actually tweeted about it about two weeks ago, uh, which is a game we've talked about on the show before called To the Moon, which is, I guess it's an an adventure game in the old terminology of the term, but now referred to more as a point-and-click adventure game. But really, it's, it's a game in which all the gameplay is more or less just a means to an end, and the end is to tell you this story about two doctors whose job it is, not... Not medical doctors. I guess they're psychologists or PhDs, I'm not sure. But their their job is to go back... Essentially, they, they come to someone who is dying on their deathbed <laughs> and have a device that allows them to enter the person's mind or enter their dreams, whatever. And they essentially create memories in your head that you don't actually have as sort of a last wish for these people. So... They, they need to do research on the individuals in order to construct an appropriate memory. And in, this, in the case of the one that this story centers on, the, the request is quite simple. The individual wants to go to the moon. That's it. That's the whole request they get. And when they attempt to pry to find out more about why this is what he wants... He refuses to provide, or is unable to provide, additional details as to why this is what he desires. The majority of the game takes place essentially slowly hopping back through his memories until they reach the point where they can A, create the memory he wants, and B, have enough information to understand why it is he wants to do it and what details they need to to have in order to make it doable the what the game really does though is it presents you a story that attempts to tell you the the history of this one individual the the relatively difficult life that he's lived but in reverse so you basically are watching him reverse age until the point where you sort of see uh, his relationship with his i guess it was his wife Mm -hmm. go from essentially her death all the way back to very early on in their relationship, it's sort of like it's it's a very touching experience in the same way that sort of the opening sequences of Up are touching. It's kind of the same <laughs> sort of vibe. Yeah,
0: no, it is. And James, I, I'm I love this game when I played it a few months ago, and I bet that you loved it
1: too. I did. I haven't quite finished it yet. I'm very near the end. Oh,
0: it's it's really short though. It's like five hours long.
1: Yeah, it is. It's super short, and it I looks like have- Chrono Trigger. It it does look a lot like it looks like a Super Nintendo RPG of a yes. Square Enix make yes in the
3: best way possible yeah so you're near and the end or should you rather say you're near the beginning
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe True. it's it's just a very delightful is not the word because it's a very somber mood to the game there there are moments where it feels really you know there's there's really touching moments but there's moments there's just moments of the game where you feel very like oh man that's the 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 moment where you realize that not only I mean, you know she's dead, that's that's revealed to you very early in the game, but the moment where you realize that you're more or less intruding on the act of her dying, or the, the moments where her death is coming up, are particularly uh, upsetting, as probably the word for it. It's just it's it's a very well written, well experienced, well put together game that is incredibly capable of giving you an emotional journey or putting you emotionally vested in relatively I mean characters you never play as the the doctors I mean you can you become somewhat invested in them too as they react to the same thing you're seeing but really it's the characters you're not playing at that really matter to you as as the story progresses on retrogresses on I guess it's it's just it's it's a very Tightly wound plot that just feels really good to play. Gameplay wise, there's not a lot to it. I mean, it's the game. Like the gameplay is a means to an end, mm-hmm. but it, what it does do is really impressive, and it's a great example of telling the story of a game without getting crazy overboard, or in understanding that you can have a story that is very tightly focused, doesn't need to be big, explosive, whiz bang story time. A, a really tight small story that can be much more impacting than anything you can do by having a giant set piece blow up. Well
2: I think I think the story has I think that that's a great concept. I mean when you tell me yeah they're intruding on they're they're implanting stuff in people's heads to make them think that they had a life that they never actually lived, that's a pretty yeah. cool concept. Like that's a concept that you could actually wrap a feature film around, you know? You like,
3: could
2: that's and that's it, really it is, cool.
0: it is similar to uh inception or mm-hmm.
3: um it's the anti-eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yes. Yeah, yep.
0: it's very similar to that. But you know, I think one thing I really like about it is that the tone of the story uh, fits with the graphic style because okay. I, I, I feel like even though this is a modern game, it looks like a 16-bit game. And the way they tell the story through the text and through you know, the, the style of the writing and the style of the graphics, it it is in some ways... It, it it does evoke the kinds of mini stories that you would get in 16-bit RPGs. So you've got these very tender moments in a game like Chrono Trigger, where you learn about um, you learn about Luca's mother and what happened to her, and you have a chance to do something about it. If you if that's your favorite part of Chrono Trigger, you will adore To the Moon because it's really. It's sort of taking a moment like that that's very powerful in a, in a much grander RPG with lots of fighting and, and crazy sci-fi monsters and stuff. And it's saying, what if we made the whole game around this moment? And mm-hmm. and what if we explored? And, and it's not doing anything that Chrono Trigger couldn't have done, you know, in terms of not only just technologically, but in terms of the writing and the music and the whole presentation, yeah. it feels like this is very much made like a 16-bit RPG, but what if we took out all the battles and we and we expanded some of these um, sort of story moments that that were so impactful in a very reduced form back
1: then? There is one thing they couldn't have done, though, in Chrono Trigger, and that is they couldn't have allowed you to be unable to change the ultimate destiny of, in this case, Luca's mother. Hmm. Because in that game, you're actually time traveling. If they copped out and said, but you can't fix it, it, I think it would have lost some of the impact. But in this, you're not traveling through time. You're just watching this person's memories. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can't, you can't even really provide comfort to this guy as he's suffering. It's just, this has all already happened. It's, so you're just sort of stuck. Watching and just watching it unfold and going and realizing the inevitability of what you're watching, I think makes it feel even, even more. I don't want to say horrible because it's not bad. If it's just more of an intense feeling,
4: because hmm.
1: at least, at least in the case of Luca's mother, you go, know, "I can, I can do something about this. I'm the best."
0: Well, but but keep in mind though, for a lot of people, the first time they played Chrono they were not able to save Luca's mother, and they might not have even known that it was possible to hmm. save her. So I think a lot of people still had that feeling of of helplessness. It's yeah, like I watched I, this happen, but I couldn't stop it, and that sure. makes it even more emotional and and stressful.
1: It's a remarkably well written game. Yeah. It really is. I yeah. mean, it's and the it's music not,
0: is so good.
1: It is really good music.
2: Uh, I just I just think that stories like this, I think they're actually better told for me with like these sixteen bit style uh, gr- gr- graphics because I feel like kind of like as you're as you're viewing the game unfold, you can I feel like you at least I do, I, I feel like I get more invested in these characters or I have to bring more to the experience than I do, you know, with something that's, you know, like James said, some whiz bang sort of um like uh cages, um Oh, heavy rain. Yes, heavy rain. See stuff like yeah. that. It's I don't I I can't see myself getting as involved in those characters because I feel like it's more one-sided. Like I feel like I'm watching the story unfold rather right. I, I don't I don't get invested in the characters as much as I would a 16-bit RPG like, you know, Chrono Trigger for example.
0: It's because they're they're trying to do it at a really high fidelity level and they don't yeah. get there. Yeah. A lot of these 16-bit RPGs and To the Moon, which is really in a different It's really not a 16 bit RPG, but it feels like one. The 16 bit art style and the music that they use, the kinds of, the character designs and the kind of animation that they pull off, it's just enough to tell the story. So like you couldn't really do this with 8 bit because the characters don't animate well enough to really show emotion. Yeah. But you can't really do it with 32 bit because they animate too well and now the emotions look fake. And, and you don't have to use your imagination enough. So 16-bit yeah. is really a nice compromise where they can tell a, a nuanced story and yet leave enough gaps that you actually have to fill it in with your own imagination, which makes it feel more personal
3: to you.
2: Exactly. Like in something like in something like Heavy Rain, I feel like they're telling you what to experience.
1: Yeah. Oh Well, yeah. they are.
3: Yeah, they are. They're instructing you. You have to have sprites that can look down at their feet and look sad. Mm-hmm. True. That's Which, what which is mean. hard to do in
2: 8-bit.
1: Yeah, but it's, yeah,
3: and heavy rain wasn't really helped by the fact that you know w- what was the setting again—Boston or Chicago—and no <laughs> one had American accents.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. Like the the more you raise those stakes, the higher expectations the audience oh, yeah. has, and then when you yep. miss those kinds of crucial details, like wait a minute, all these people have weird Canadian accents, <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of thing really breaks the experience. Yeah. Well that's not a problem. You can't even have that problem in a sixteen bit game. It's just beyond the scope of what you're doing.
3: Implying that the people in Heavy Rain had Canadian accents is a little bit insulting. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I think they did. I think they uh hired some French Canadian no, actors, th- didn't they? Uh
3: they're they're based in Europe. David Cage is uh French or Oh maybe well, I was
0: thinking of um Sorry, I might I might be getting confused with some of the (laughs) Ubisoft
3: games.
1: I mean, if if it was Canadian voice acted and it was a game, it probably came out of Vancouver. To be honest, Hmm. there's a couple different VA shops there.
3: Heavy rain with Michael Ironside as the detective. I want that. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: uh, I'm gonna wrap up new business with uh, starting with Gunman Clive, which is a 3DS eShop game. It just came out a week ago, and it costs two dollars. Two dollars. And it is so much better than you would ever expect for a $2 eShop game.
1: I bet better than Guillaume expects. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I've played this. It's really, it's
3: really good. It's probably what uh, emboldened me to try get Galaxy Saver. <laughs> You're
1: like, hey, I
0: got
2: $2 for the highest bidder right here. Yeah, you you win some, you
0: lose some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you pay $2 to download Gunman Clive on your 3DS, you have won. Because uh, it, it is a really, really cool game. It's not that long. So I think the $2 price, although I think it's a very good value, I think it's a, um, you know, kind of a steal at $2, I mm-hmm. think you can understand that it would be that cheap because it's a pretty short game. You can play through the whole thing in maybe an hour, maybe two hours if you um, if you play some of the extra modes or if you get stuck and have to keep trying a, a level or two. But for the most part, it's a short game. But it is so high quality that that's the shocking part. You're like, wait a minute. How did I ever – how did I get away with only paying $2 for this? Because it is so well made. The graphic style is superb and it looks so good in 3D. It's been – it feels like a while since I played a 3DS game where I felt that the 3D added so much to it. And it, it's a 2D platformer. I mean, it's a, it's basically Mega Man with a with a different graphic style.
4: Yeah.
0: And yet the the 3D and maybe it's because the art style is so simple that you the 3D calls more attention to itself. But I think it looks so good. And then I tried turning the slider off, and it doesn't look nearly as good. So this is a game. If you really want a game that uses 3D well, um, it doesn't doesn't affect the gameplay whatsoever. It just makes it look way more awesome. Gunman Clive is a super cheap way to uh, get a lot of, of value out of that feature, and the game controls perfectly. Mm-hmm. I I understand this started as an iPhone game, which makes me cry on the inside. I mean that is <laughs> so so awful to imagine playing this game with some kind of uh, touch screen D pad thing, uh, because this game is it is a Mega Man game. I mean it's it's hard. It it's very exacting. It requires very precise control and very good timing. Mm-hmm. and uh, when you're playing with a d-pad and, and buttons it feels exactly like it should it feels like mutant muds it feels like the original Mega Man, and it does exactly what you want it to do and that's a large part of what makes the game fun and satisfying to play so you take that away and i'm not sure this is i don't i'm not sure i could recommend this at all on on a platform that doesn't have a d-pad and buttons but with it it's great. but what
3: if it's one dollar? what if it's free? Uh, even
0: then no i mean <laughs> you you can change you can put the price you can put the price at whatever you want it doesn't make it fun so i mean and you know you're once you start reducing the price from two dollars, you really hit diminishing returns there anyway. Mm. It's already so cheap that it's kind of an afterthought to even uh, pay for it. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it's the music is wonderful. The, uh, the characters are really funny looking. Uh, the gameplay is great. The bosses are really good, and there's lots of really cool power-ups you get. And the game, it, it really does feel like every level in the game is different. They really don't reuse ideas. They mm-hmm. remix them a little bit, just to give you a different challenge. But it feels like the game never repeats itself. It, it, it introduces some kind of platform or some kind of enemy, and it it, it it throws it at you in one or two different ways, and then once it's kind of used that, it throws it away and it moves on to something different.
3: Yeah, you get hints of Donkey Kong Country in there, uh, and, and you do get, like, the the game really wears its uh, inspiration and in its sleeve with Mega Man, because you, you get a couple of types of stage directly lifted from Mega Man, you know, yes. like a combination of an Airman stage and Elect Man. And uh, you've got even uh, what did you call them again? The vacuum tubes or vacuum yeah, squares from
0: Iceman in the first. Yeah, game.
3: that that disappear beneath your feet, and uh, mm-hmm. but that's just like one section, you know. And uh, another stage would be completely different.
0: Yeah, and and there's uh, on the you know the touch screen. Doesn't really do anything. They don't use it for much, but it shows like a very crude map of the level system, and mm-hmm. every fifth level is a boss level, and the the symbol for the boss level on the map is the same skull that they use in Mega Man on NES. Yeah. <laughs> so th- that's how much Mega Man Gunman Clive really is. It is super, super, super Mega Man, and it's fantastic. the the art I really can't stress the art style is so good. It looks incredible. But it plays like something you are definitely familiar with, and it plays super tight, and it's really fun. It's challenging, but not super frustrating, you know? It's not annoyingly hard. It's just challenging enough that you want to keep playing it, and there's no limited lives or anything like that. And there's also not really any secrets in the game. No. And I, I feel like for, for a $2 game, I've, I'm not going to complain about that, okay? I think you, I think the amount of content in here is totally great. the price of the game but i also felt like as i was playing through the game that the lack of secrets you know that not not feeling the need to constantly stop and look around and see if there might be something i'm missing was actually kind of nice like once i felt comfortable that i wasn't missing anything as i just plowed through these levels it let me focus on just getting to the end and that is the goal of the game is just get to the end of the level Kill yeah. the dudes that are in your way, ignore the ones that you can, and just keep moving because that's hard enough. And once you kind of realize that, it's very pure. It's a very, very nice feeling to just say, I'm just going to keep moving straight through this and I don't have to worry about exploring.
3: Yeah, and the, the character that you unlock when you beat the game once, it really changes up the way that you go through the levels. The, the physics yes. are a little bit different and uh, yeah, you have to move a different way through the levels. I don't want to spoil it, but it's pretty cool.
0: There's surprisingly good replay value even. Yeah. So, Gum yeah. and Clive is a game that I can very easily recommend to anyone who has a 3DS. Very easy recommend. It's. I uh, will pick great. it up. Yeah. Uh, and then the other game I played this week, I started and finished the uh, story mode in one week, and that's Halo 4. And that is uh, one thing I really like about it, is that Halo 4's campaign is about six or seven hours long it's long enough to not feel like a total jip but it's short enough to feel like you can actually finish it <laughs> and uh, it feels digestible and uh, that is a uh, an ad- admirable quality
4: yep
3: now so, johnny do you read the halo books are you well versed no. in halo lore
0: you know the funny thing is this is only the second halo game i've really played through and the first was halo reach so this is actually outside of like I, I spent like maybe 10 minutes once playing the very first Halo on Xbox, and I didn't like it, really, what I played, uh, the single-player part. Um, but aside from that, this is the first time i played as Master Chief. So I didn't know that he had a voice.
2: Yeah, they, add, they added that in as they went along, really. They tried to – Oh, they, okay. The thing is, basically, when it first started off, he was kind of – The mute hero. Laughed at because he was su- he was such a –
0: Oh, he's he's not a great character. No. Don't get me
2: wrong.
1: His name is Master Chief, for
2: God's <laughs> it's sake. It's awful, but I, the thing is, I will say though, I, what, what I will say about Halo Four, though, is that I did like the fact. I, I feel like it's, um, it's a much less all that Space Marine hooah kind of bullshit that's in the that's in the first couple of Halos that I absolutely could not stand. Like you know, like the guys, like the the grunts around you, just saying the most hokey crap. None of that stuff. It's this is more like Halo Reach, where it's kind of more focused on like. Being more of kind of like a serious story, like you know, not just some kind of like space marine fantasy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and you know, th- I have to admit that the uh, although Master Chief himself is not terribly interesting personality yeah. wise, he doesn't yep. really have very much personality. But uh, the uh, the AI that carry that he carries around, who talks to him constantly, uh, Cortana, she's. A fairly interesting character. She's kind of, uh, she's kind of an evolution of Navi from Ocarina Mm -hmm. of Time. It's like, Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's funny to, to think that the first Halo came out in 2001. I don't really know what Cortana was like in that game because I didn't really even get that far when I played the first game. Yeah. But the, but even, you know, three years after Ocarina of Time came out, um, the, at least the, this character was conceived and it's the idea that what if we took Navi and we made her intelligent and actually have conversations with the main character as you play through the game. So she yeah. helps you and she tells you where to go next, but she also has a personality and she mm-hmm. also actually is kind of talking as you play the game. She's not stopping and making you read text. She's talking to you while you shoot dudes. Mm -hmm. And she is a very sympathetic character, and she's the acting is very good, the character design is very good. And in this game, because Master Chief does talk, they actually have conversations, and they Mm -hmm. have this kind of relationship that uh, develops over the course of the game. And she's going through this thing called rampancy, where she's basically going crazy. And there is I mean I'm I'm not I don't want to exaggerate how affecting the story is because it it's this is not gonna make anyone cry. Okay. It's not that great <laughs> yeah. of a story. Yeah. But there is a legitimate emotional attachment to this character and what she means to you, the player,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and uh and to see her break down psychologically over the course of the game is interesting, you know. Yeah. It's like if you just did this with a, with a random character, I wouldn't care, but because she's with you all the time and she is very um, central to you playing the game, um, it, it doesn't have an effect. But that does get to a complaint I have, and I don't know how the other Halo games compare. I can only really speak to Halo 4 in this case, because mm-hmm. um, it's the only one I've played with Cortana, but she is very proactive in telling you where to go. So she yeah. puts markers yep. on your HUD and says, go here. Yep. And every now and then you either she goes away temporarily and you don't have that anymore, or the 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 waypoint system in the game just gets a little technically screwed up and you no longer have that arrow showing you where to go. And when that happens, I felt totally lost.
2: Well, that's the interesting thing. I mean they, they tried to kind of make it more they kind of tried to sell it as more of oh it's more open world and you can kind of, you know, choose where you want to go, but you really you really can't. I mean, you you know exactly where you're told exactly where you want to go most of the time, and so even Except though they make you're not, <laughs> yeah, even even though they they make they give you kind of a prettier sandbox to play in, you're still pretty much going in one direction through the entire game. Yeah, like um, yeah. the, the the areas that I didn't like were sometimes when they they kind of force you to hop on you know some some um, vehicle and they kind of force you to like run through something, run through some
1: gauntlet. And, oh, we've talked about the vehicle stuff before. Yeah, though, like, but series.
2: this this isn't this isn't the, the like controlling the war the warthog issue. This is like just where like you're tossed onto a spaceship and you have to run through some you know kind of like you know valley on a planet with stuff falling in front of you and you have to go up above it and down below it and you know it's kind of like some areas like in 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 God of War where like you know he's like flying upwards and you know you have to dodge stuff as it's coming towards you and there's a lot of yeah. that. Which I felt, I felt was kind of clunky, and some of it was just frankly a pain in the ass. It was just, it was kind of there just to, just to impede your progress, not really to like really do anything interesting.
0: It's like, it's basically a pod race. Yeah. Like, we have this idea for a really exciting uh, set piece scene in the game, and we really want to put it, like our artists and, and the game directors really want to put this in there, but it's not really a part that you can play through with the normal gameplay mechanics. So -hmm. we're going to give you minimal control over what happens. And we're going to turn it into essentially an interactive cutscene where there's only really one way to play through it. So if you don't do the right thing, you will fail. And so there's way too many fail states in these scenes and you have to kind of figure out where they want you to go, which is to me is never a good thing in a video game where you're, you're playing through a sequence, and you're like, well, I'm getting really frustrated here. I'm dying over and over. Let me sit here and think about where do they want me to go? How mm-hmm. how can I do this in a way that will actually match up with their expectation? Because then I can just get past it. Yep. And there are a couple of scenes like that. But, um, you know, for the most part, I really enjoyed Halo 4. It is, uh, to me, not a super innovative first person shooter and I don't even know that it's the best at what it does Uh at least at least for what I want out of a first person shooter it's not the most exciting the combat is not the most interesting the guns certainly are not the most interesting mm-hmm. uh, in fact a lot of the guns I found to be totally useless so <laughs> there, there's probably 15 guns in the game and Maybe five of them are extremely effective, but you'll hardly ever find them they're super rare, so yeah. when you find them, you'll use them until they run out and then you throw them away and there's like two that are really common and actually work, and those are the two that you will use eighty percent of the time because all the other guns that they put out all the like the all the alien pistols in the game are fucking shit
2: yeah they' they're, they're, they're most of them are not useful or they're just like it's a, a shotgun with you know some kind of strange, you know, alien glow on it.
0: I don't understand why every weapon can't be really fun and satisfying to use, which is not to say they all have to be super powerful. They can have advantages and disadvantages and different use cases. But how about you make every gun feel cool and feel really fun to use? Because that is not the case in Halo 4, unfortunately.
1: Mm -hmm. But but most shooters have this problem. I I know, I
0: know. It's very common, but...
1: I think... Game designers do it because they want there to be, be like real tiers in the weapon design, if you to value some weapons more than others. But the game, the gun does not necessarily be great. It can just be kind of, I mean, there was, I'm trying to remember what game it was. There was a first-person shooter for the PC in the early '90s. I, I'm blanking on the name, but somebody will probably remember. It had a series of guns, about four or five out of the twenty or so, that were just hilariously awful. But like that was, it was almost satisfying to use them because if you got killed by them. You must suck.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I I just found in Halo Four. If if I mean, typically, if I have anything where I need to snipe, I just use the the DMR. And if if I'm if I have to fight something up close, I just use a shotgun. Anything else, I don't even bother with.
0: It, it, but when you're playing through the campaign, neither well, of cam- those guns is very easy to come well, across.
2: Yeah, well, the, campaign and Spartan Ops and Spartan Ops, they're all over the place because that's more of a drop you in an area and you have to kill your way out of it. So, okay, so
0: that's the co-op mode that yeah. David Ellis is heavily involved in. And, John, yep. you and I need to play some of that.
2: Yeah, that's actually really fun. It's pretty cool. In terms of a co-op cool. mode, it's one of the best ones I've played.
0: We're, we're going to check it out.
2: Yeah. Uh, but for
0: right now, we're going to chill until the next episode. Not really. Until the break. And uh, we'll be back in a minute with our predictions from 2012 and for 2013. Here's a quick look at the best original content at our website, now playing at nintendoworldreport.com.
1: This week we start off with a review of Family Party, 30 Great Games, Obstacle Arcade for the Wii U. The review is by Zach Kaplan. D3 Entertainment's party game collection is amazing. Stop listening right now and go buy it. Go! Are they gone? Good. Good. If you knew enough about D3 to not go buy this game, congratulations on avoiding this entirely predictable mess of minigames.
2: We also have a review of Gunman Clive on the 3DS eShop by Tyler Olu. We just talked about this retro masterpiece, and it turns out Tyler loves it too. Marrying the old and the new, Gunman Clive is the sheriff of the eShop. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we have a blog,
3: Nintendo Collector's Journal by Justin Berube. Ever see those Kinect's renditions of Mario Kart Wii's carts? Justin owns them, and he's also wearing a plastic crown. I'm worried about him. He's the sneak king.
4: <laughs> uh, no! <he> up... <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh, <laughs> uh,
3: no. <laughs>
0: next up, we have a review for Marvel Avengers Battle for Earth by Alex Kalafi. Uh, this is on the Wii U. It's Iron Man and his shitty friends, now <laughs> rendered as a fighting game with Dutch angles shockingly it isn't good
2: touch angles i don't even know what that means <laughs> i don't either but iron man and his shitty friends is, is fantastic <laughs> it's an alternate title that was rejected late late in the development space oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and lastly uh wanted to mention that nintendo world report is posting our top 10 favorite games of 2012 so go and disagree with us in the talkback threads it's all over at NintendoWorldReport.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It is time to do our annual prediction segment where we make total asses out of ourselves. And we laugh at what big asses we were last year when we did this. Um, and so we're going to start out with a recap from last year's predictions. These were what we thought would happen in the year 2012. And this should be a lot of fun to go through. I just want to give uh, due credit to James, who went back and listened to the episode and wrote up a very detailed recap of of all the dumb stuff that we predicted would happen. So we're going to go through and read off a couple of excerpts. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to go around and uh, each one of us is going to read a couple of our favorites that we put out there last year. And uh, Guillaume is going to do Greg's from last year. And then when we get done with the recap, we're going to do our new predictions for 2013, in which uh, Guillaume will begin this wonderful tradition for himself. (laughs) So I'll kick it off and... um, <clears throat> I guess one of the one of the things I, w- I want to talk about we you know when we did this last year it was before Wii U um, had been sort of reintroduced no one had seen it since E three of twenty eleven and there were a lot of questions about you know is it going to get a new name what are the launch titles what is this new Mario game going to look like is anyone really going to care uh, what are they really going to do with the controller we hadn't seen Nintendo Land at this point we'd seen a couple of events from it. But we didn't know that the package itself existed. Um and so that was a big topic. And I predicted that uh the system will get a fairly significant facelift uh before launch and maybe a new name. Now the console itself didn't really get a facelift, but I I do feel I kind of like sort of partially hit on the <sighs> controller.
1: Getting it, a facelift. It, it, it got a bit of one. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not it, huge. it's
0: more not not. It doesn't look dramatically different than when we first saw it, but the features are are fairly different than the version that they first showed. <laughs> or it just and wasn't the feel done. Of it is different. <laughs> yeah. So um, they, I, I think they delivered on that one. Um, unfortunately, it did not get a new name, but that was. That was just wishful thinking, I guess. And, uh, and I predicted it'll cost $300 and include a game, but it, but the game pack-in would not be Mario. So, got fairly close on that one. I said that the last story was hopeless for a North American release, <laughs> and uh I'm very, very happy that I was wrong about that. That I mean, we were all so shocked when XSeed picked up the oh, publishing God, rights yes. for that. Yep. It was just one of the strangest stories of the whole year. And then the fact that they released it, and they did a great job releasing it, and it was a huge hit for them, like the biggest success they've ever had as a it company- was. And then they re-released it in a cheaper version so even more people can get a hold of it now. And I think it turned out to be probably one of the best games of the year. So I am thrilled to be wrong on that one. I'm so glad that it did finally come out in North America. Uh, and I, and I said that E3, even though it would be kind of the big coming out party for Wii U, it would be dominated by 3DS games. Uh, and that was based on an experience we had on the DS back in 2007,
4: uh-huh.
0: when the Wii was, or t- maybe it was 2006, it was the year the Wii came out, and there were a lot of Wii demos there, but they were kind of all stuck in this one part of Nintendo's booth, and outside of that, Wii was nowhere to be seen. But three 3- But DS was everywhere. And I thought that would all play out over again in 2012. And unfortunately... Although Wii U was very much restricted to Nintendo's booth, and it was rarely seen outside of Nintendo's booth at other companies. Unfortunately, 3DS did not have the widespread presence that I was hoping for from other publishers. There were games here and there. A lot of the ones that were shown at E3 were just kind of licensed games, or there were just things that weren't all that exciting. And the third-party support for 3DS did not materialize in 2012 the way I was hoping and uh and this year I'm not sure that it's gonna be much better. I haven't really seen the evidence of that, but it is certainly becoming the front runner, so um maybe it's just an inevitability. Maybe the maybe all these publishers aren't necessarily excited about it, but they've seen, look, the future is not Vita and it's probably not SHIELD <laughs> either. Oh my and god. And so if we're gonna make portable games, they're gonna be on three D S. And so they may not make a big deal out of it, but maybe there will be three DS games this year. I don't know. But I, I was certainly disappointed at the uh, at the relative uh, at the relatively diminished number and quality of 3ds games that we saw outside of Nintendo's booth at E3,
1: I was going to say my favorite though is the one we didn't mention, which is that we you predicted Xenoblade would bomb, and I suggested it was a conspiracy theory <laughs> to deliberately bomb the game.
0: Yeah, I've heard that it did that it met Nintendo's expectations. Yeah, whatever, whatever that means. not saying much because they certainly didn't market it. And no, they certainly yeah. made it, you know, Impossible not the to get. easiest game to get. You know, you can only buy it at like two places. But I've heard that it did pretty well. Like, if you knew what Xenoblade was, you could go get it. And a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. So that's not the best news. But, you know, it's sad <laughs> when the la- XSEED published his last story and they probably sold more copies than Nintendo did for Xenoblade. But, hey. Yeah. At least both of the games came out, which is more than you can say for Pandora's Tower, which is really a lost cause.
4: Oh, that's done.
0: It's not happening. Forget that one. Import, import, import. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, John's up next with his recap from 2012. From 2012.
2: All right. My predictions were that F-Zero, a new F-Zero title, was going to come to 3DS, obviously. and And that it would be shown at E3. So I was really going balls out with this one. Did not and happen. Greg
0: agreed with you. <laughs> yeah,
2: I did <can> agree. Yes, <laughs> not not even close. I mean, it's
1: just uh, it's sad at this point. Well, they really well just, Johnny suggested Monster was going to make it, and Greg suggested Retro, and then Greg prevented me from making a tube sliders joke. So <laughs> tube sliders, <laughs> makes you know, me giggle. Uh, I think this
0: one could still happen, and I still think Monster Games is the studio to to make it happen.
2: Tube <laughs> sliders. Tube <Doom> <laughs> All right, and my second one was uh, that Square Enix will be releasing Final Fantasy XIV for Wii U. And the joke there is, hey, they won't even be putting it out for PS3 or PC. Oh! Hey-oh. <laughs> Until next year. Sure didn't happen in 2012. That is never. That is just never going to happen. I could not be more wrong on that one. Um, yeah, that
0: game is still coming out, though, even though it's, it's already still coming out. out. It's, yep. it's coming out again for PC. Disaster.
2: Yeah, it's about to go into it's beta com- It's soon. coming out
1: with the new subtitle, A Legend yep. Reborn. Yeah, or like yeah, Realm
2: it's Reborn. The, uh, but the, yeah, it's, it's coming out for Realm PS3 Reborn. and PC, but not for Wii U. Um yeah, yeah Square Enix there they they have their hands full with uh with other platforms, let alone Wii U for that one. Uh, uh, all right, and my third one was uh Steam would be announced for Wii U, obviously not going to happen. Especially yeah, especially with uh with this whole Steam Box that Valve is supposed to be coming out with. Obviously they're just not going in that direction, so. Right. But the, the PS3 thing was probably just an experiment on their part.
0: Oh, totally. I mean, yep. it's it's in one game. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Steam on PS3 is in one
2: game.
1: <laughs> yep. So weird. Yep.
0: I w- I couldn't believe they never even released like a like a cross media bar application so that you could boot Steam up outside of Portal Three or yep. Portal Two <laughs> because, because then they could have done no stuff like to. sell you extra content or you know just let you see what your friends were doing outside of having to to boot up the that one game. But yeah. They never they never went there. I think it was totally just a weird experiment.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, is it more like the Ubisoft the uh, you play thing or or what?
0: No, it's not even that. It's not even that.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess when when you boot the game up, it just asks you if you want to sign into Steam, right? That's like that's all it does. Yeah, yeah that's
0: all it does. It lets huh. you play with PC players, which works really well. Yeah, but that's okay. about all it does. It's really yeah. kind of stupid. All right, so uh, Guillaume is up next with a recap of Greg's predictions.
3: Yeah, so, uh, Greg, it was more of a hope, really, less of a prediction. Uh, based on the gap between uh, the games uh, by Goodfeel, uh, he thought that Goodfeel would produce a Yoshi game, uh, perhaps in the style of uh, Wario or Kirby uh, Epic Which, that's rumored that that's still going to happen, just not for Wii.
0: Yeah. But that's a that's a pretty strong rumor for 2013. Yeah, there,
3: there's been rumors, you know, based on the future shop website, uh, Snafu's. Um, it it is through a Best Buy Canada website, which owns Future Shop, that, uh, people found out about the Wii Mini. So, Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? Hmm. There might be truth, or it might just be bullshit. (laughs) Um, uh, he's also predicted that, uh, Warrior Wear would be, uh, will be a big thing on 3DS or Wii U. And, uh, I don't know... If it's going to be a big thing, like the the Wario game that we're getting, is not even going to be a WarioWare game. It's more of a collection of mini games, right?
1: So the recent the recent stuff from the late December Nintendo Direct in Japan, it's all the Wario char- WarioWare characters are in it in their WarioWare regalia, so.
3: Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make it a WarioWare WarioWare game. I mean, the characters are there. It's more of a spin-off of WarioWare. I,
1: I, I just wonder based on all that if they're starting to tilt it back towards more WarioWare stuff. Like they're if they're kind of transitioning it away cuz what they wanted it to be that they don't feel like it's working out for.
3: Hmm, hmm. interesting. Um next prediction, uh, he thought that uh, Pikmin was going to be a launch window title for the Wii U. Uh, back then, did we even know about Pikmin 3?
1: We did. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, he said may or may not make it into this calendar year, uh, first few months. So I guess this was correct. Well, I don't we'll know. S- if it
0: comes out in June, does Nintendo <laughs> still consider that the launch window? It does.
1: At least according to the 3DS, that's launch window. It's a bay window. It's a bay window.
3: And James <laughs> uh, went. Uh, you know, all out and said that all of Nintendo's games would have some form of online content.
1: I emphasized really hard the phrase some form though so I'm-
3: well, technically, I guess they all have Miiverse, so I guess technically you're correct
1: well and, and i I did say explicitly, I didn't mean necessarily gameplay yeah, yeah like yeah.
2: you will yeah. you will play them on. Your Wii U, which is sitting next to your PC, which can connect to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? You know,
1: in, in the context of the conversation, I'm going to take credit for, on that one for Miiverse.
3: All right. Yeah, sure. You predicted Miiverse.
1: I invented the Miiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo, you, heard it. you know what to send my checks <laughs> You can send them in Nintendo points. Yep.
3: And uh, finally, uh, Greg had a prediction for E3, which has been proven wrong uh, a couple of months ago, which was that we were going to get a somewhat bullshitty, quote-unquote, uh, Smash <laughs> Bros. teaser means. trailer.
0: That's probably going to happen this year. <laughs> yeah, well, probably. Well, uh, Johnny's
1: commentary, though, on that that game might be further along because Kid Icarus took this on the came out because Sakurai left because he said, oh shit, this thing's going to go bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, apparently apparently, Kid Icarus just took a long time because it's a surprisingly long game Yeah. and uh, and it had a lot of stuff in it. I guess that's why it took so long to make Kid Icarus.
1: Yeah. So. And, uh, for, yeah, so yeah. that's it for Greg. Yeah. So for my stuff, I uh, predicted that the Wii U would have online, which is not a big bold prediction, and that new Super Mario Brothers, Wii and U, which I was calling it at the time, quote, almost has to at this point they can't just have another new Super Mario Brothers. Apparently they can. <laughs> but but as as a caveat to that, I did predict that the tablet will allow one player to, quote, dick around. Which, we were about six <laughs> minutes into predictions at that point, and it was the first one we had been successful on. Go yep. us! Yep. Um, I did say that there'd be some sp- we Sports pack in, but it wouldn't be online. And, I you do know, it depends if you want to count my other one.
0: Yeah, that kind of contradicts with your claim I know. for Meverse, right? I
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and let's see. The I said that the eShop is going to this. Oh, is it? This year, this is the year the eShop is going to go well, which is the worst sentence ever constructed. And then followed it up with the completely wrong statement that this is the first Miyamoto design game will be on the eShop, and that there will be lots of tablet tools on the Wii U eShop. So I whiffed hmm. on that entire list. The-
0: The Miyamoto thing might happen in 2013. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're signaling that pretty strongly. You know, he, he's got his own little team and they're working on a smaller game and, uh, and they want it to be some kind of new IP. That could, that could very easily become an eShop exclusive game on either system.
4: Yeah.
1: And I also predicted that this would be the first games that would make good use of AR, which we went on this little tirade that Mm. ended with Johnny suggesting maybe a fatal frame kind of thing. Which, what the, (laughs) how the fuck did he get that one? (laughs) Oh, man. I almost fell over listening to this episode when I got, I'm like, what the, what? (laughs) I had to go back because I stopped typing for a good two minutes just going, what the hell just happened? It's Uh very
0: spooky that I would predict that.
1: No. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Anyway. (laughs) uh, 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 Although these aren't, Predictions. I would like to point out that our looking forward to thing did not go well because many of the games we were looking forward to didn't come out. Yeah,
0: so we, so we ended the prediction segment with a sort of just a brainstorming of like the games that we were the most excited about that we that actually exist that had actually been uh, announced at the time.
1: The, my favorite one here though is Greg was looking forward to Luigi's Mansion and Code of Princess, which he felt if it got localized would presumably get a better name. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, wonder if,
0: I wonder if Greg ended up playing Code of Princess.
3: Did it come well, out? Well, I I don't think it's out in Europe yet, but yeah, it's going that's to be. Right. It, just it got is, a release date. Didn't Yeah, it's it? got a release date for the eShop. It's not yeah. going to be oh, at physical
1: retail. Yep.
0: And poor Greg, he was looking forward to Rocket Slime 3. <laughs> that is nowhere to be seen. Nope.
1: Yeah, Greg more or less had a bad go, but the only game he was looking forward to that actually came out was Revelations. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that and that was yeah, like 3 months
2: later. Yeah. So.
0: So John was looking forward to Xenoblade Chronicles, which I'm sure you have not played, John. Oh, I've,
2: I've played through it three or four times. Thank you very <laughs> <Yeah>. much. <laughs>
0: that was your, your most anticipated game of 2012.
2: I, I, I played enough of it. Did you buy enough a copy? Oh yeah, yeah, you I did. Got a copy of it. Yeah. He talked he talked about it on the show. I threw in about ten hours. Let me say that. Oh, did so, you really? Yeah. You
0: know what? That's totally it. respectable. Yeah. So James was uh, excited about the last story. Uh, very, very uh, well, well reasoned choice there. And uh, Virtue's Last Reward and Leighton versus Phoenix Wright. Didn't come out. Are you still excited about the Time Travelers?
1: I, I haven't seen much about it lately, so I don't know. Leighton versus Wright, I'm still excited about. But the Time oh, Travelers. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'll probably play the Time Travelers when it comes out, because Level Five has had such a high hit ratio for me that mm-hmm. at this point I give them the benefit of the doubt.
0: I think Danny said on the Famicast that there's a demo of it in Japan.
1: I think there is, yeah.
0: But I don't think the game is out yet.
1: No, they've been doing that lately in Japan with demos months and months in advance.
0: Yeah. Um, and then my most, my most the game I was looking forward to is Pikmin 3. Oh. I'm still looking forward to it. Especially hey. a Miyamoto recently was quoted as saying that he wanted to bring back the kind of uh, stress that was part of the first Pikmin and that they had taken out of the second one which is the main reason I prefer the first Pikmin.
3: Mm. It's funny because the reaction on the internet was so negative and people were like, oh, fuck time limits. And everyone loves Majora's Mask. So what the hell?
1: Because Majora's Mask is a good game. There you
3: go. Well, Pikmin 1 is as well. It's not not as good. When you
0: put those time constraints on there, it forces you to play in a way that you would not if you didn't have the time limit. And it, it doesn't work for every game. Time limits don't always make a game better. But in the case of Pikmin, I thought it was pretty clear between the first and the second game that the first was better, and and it was better because you couldn't just dick around as much as you wanted. You had to, you had a, an ultimate goal, and you had to keep moving towards it. And you're exploring, and you're trying different things out along along the way. But ultimately, you need to find a solution quickly, and uh, and it forces you to play in an efficient way and to find. Good ways to solve problems, and the the second game is just it's too freeform.
3: You yeah, know? you can brute force so. it because you've got all the yes. time in the world. You can just raise yes. Pikmin and then you know go get that one object and save, and then go back the next day.
0: And and more importantly, Pikmin Two is is leveraged too heavily on these underground levels where you can't make new Pikmin, mm-hmm. and the levels are kind of randomly generated. And I don't I don't really like that stuff. I wanted more of the puzzle oriented big world kind of levels that were in the first game. The second one has them too, but ultimately they're kind of a small fraction of the game. So I'm hoping that, um, that they also go back that way with a third one. But at this point, who can say we still don't know that much about Pikmin three after all this time I've played it. And I still don't feel like I really know what that game does differently than, um, than Pikmin two. So I'm still looking forward to it. Kind of. Um, and then, uh, we asked Greg over email, we asked, uh, if he had any commentary on reading through this recap, and, uh, he certainly was entertained <laughs> by it. Um, and, uh, Greg just asked me to pass along this quote. I know everyone will be super excited to, uh, to hear any word from Greg Leahy. So Greg says, quote, reflecting on last year's predictions, it is clear that I got out at the right time.
2: Have fun, guys. <laughs> oh.
0: End quote. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, uh, Greg agrees, we did a bad job last year. <laughs> but we always do a bad job. That's why people like the segment, I guess. So it's time to get into our new predictions for 2013. And uh, James, since you spent the work to uh, develop this recap that we just went over, I figure, uh, why don't you go first?
1: Sure. So, first one. I'm predicting that one of the major... um one of the major uh, localization houses for uh, Japanese games, so like Exe Atlas, one of one of those level five, maybe not level five actually, but one one of the one of those companies, the the Atlas, uh, Nipponi,chi Axis, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of those kinds of ones that they will f- start begin to forego releasing their retail games as retail games and will begin to publish them exclusively on the Mm-hmm. And that, in so doing, they will actually see better, much better return on investment.
0: But don't you think that goes against the traditional niche uh, success that these companies have, which is releasing these kind of collectors' editions of these Japanese games?
1: They may release a handful. I yeah. mean, Atlas Games are already a handful, but like they just. It may be that they only release these like really niche collectors editions and that yeah. every every other sale and that their expected mode of sale is eShop. Yeah, they they can always do that, yeah. like just sell stuff like that from their website only. Yeah.
2: yeah. So well, that's true.
3: And yeah, they don't have I, to deal with retail. Some some of these companies already have a history of doing both at the same time on PSN. Oh, yeah. I mean uh, Atlas is very present on PSN and, and, and
1: Atlas is is releasing Coda Princess on three D S. They're yeah. um
3: XC just released Unchained Blades, uh, yep. solely on the eShop.
1: Yeah, level five. Um, although we, I didn't, I didn't think they're going to be the ones to do it. Level five, you know, Guild one, they just parted out as eShop games outside of Japan.
4: God now, bless
0: I, them.
1: I, now, I think they'll still continue to release retail copies of their games in Japan. I think just localizing, they're so niche, they'll become eShop only games. Yeah. I also think that this is this is Nintendo's year of the Pokemon. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? Black and White sold 16 million copies worldwide. Black and White 2 sold 6, which is a lot of copies. But I think right now... it's a
0: lot less.
1: Well, it's not been out as long either. And it's a sequel. And it it came out after the 3DS. Mm -hmm. What I think is going to happen, rather, is that they're going to... They have Pokemon XY coming out. And it's the first 3D game. Like, real polygonal 3D. I think this is the year that Nintendo... Musters its marketing strength to try to launch the Pokemon, but re, it's kind of a relaunch of the Pokemon's periphery branding content. I think this is the year they try to repush, you know, everything from the show, the toys, just to sh- a much bigger Airplanes. media presence. Yeah, a much, I think, I think a much bigger <laughs> west Western media push than any of the the more recent Pokemon games I've right, ever seen. All right, how
0: about this? How about a how about they try to bring back? The, well, I don't know that it ever went away. What if they try to relaunch the Pokemon trading card game as an iPhone app?
1: I wouldn't. I mean, seriously, that,
0: they would... they've kind of already pushed to, you know a little bit in this direction. And Nintendo is never going to make real games for iPhone, like no. like their investors want them to. But no. I do think they're and Awada's been quoted very recently as saying that they're they are willing to leverage these smartphone platforms as a way to supplement their primary systems yes. where they yep. sell the real games. And that seems like a perfect way to do it. They can make a shit ton of money exactly. doing Pokémon I mean, trading cards on iPhone.
1: I think I think it's going to be there's, I don't think I'll be able to point to any one part of the Pokémon brand they're going to push. I think they're going to try to re-push everything. I think with the game's getting a full graphical makeover like they've never had before, they're going to view this as the time to introduce the youngest generation to these games and to all the accoutrements that go with mm.
0: them. They certainly have a chance to reintroduce me to Pokémon because X and Y looks like they actually are trying finally after 10 years of making the same crap over and over again and it may play the same way but at least it looks different.
1: I also think that this last, this is my th- we had 3. This is my third one. I think that this is the year that Koizumi and possibly Shimizu's EAD groups have their next Mario game to show at E3. And I could say that because they co-produced 3D Land, and that came out almost two – well, oh, it'll be about two years come the holiday season. Mm-hmm. They pro- they co-produced it with Brownie Brown. So they've got – they've had time to develop a game, and I think it's time for the Wii U to get its 3D Mario game. And I think we'll probably see it at E3 this year.
0: But will it actually come out, or will I think it
1: be I think their stated goal will be for it to come out. Okay. I, I What I don't think, though, is I don't think they're going to counter-program with a Zelda game. So I think if we get a Mario, we don't get a Zelda, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. And mm-hmm.
1: that would be my three.
4: Cool.
0: Uh, Guillaume, why don't you lay out your first-ever predictions for uh, Radio Free Nintendo?
3: Alright, so uh, in order to maximize the chances of being right, I have to be as vague as possible, right? <laughs> so... Uh, I I think that uh, we're going to finally see Retro's game. I think it's going to be a Metroid 2 2 prequel. And I think it's going to be a squad-based shooter where you play a member of the Galactic Federation Marines uh, sent to the planet to eradicate the Metroids and who were never heard back from again.
2: It's incredibly vague. So So you're (laughs) you're
3: saying it's going to start as a
0: squad base, but over the course of the game... All the other people, other than Samus, go missing or are killed. Oh,
3: Samus is not in this game.
2: She'll be an NPC. I'm
3: oh,
1: assume. wait. Are you are you oh. saying you're playing one of the? Uh...
0: This is Metroid Reach.
1: <laughs> are you saying you're playing one of the soldiers that's lying dead on the ground at the start of Metroid Prime Three?
3: Mm, no, but I'm I'm th- I'm talking about like the Game Boy game, Metroid. Oh, 2.
1: oh, Metroid Two. Oh, but they probably did. Who knows? Yeah.
3: Anyway, uh, I I do like. You know, I, I was kind of kidding, like I made this uh, way too precise, but I, I do think that their game is going to be way closer to a traditional first-person shooter than any of their other games before before hmm. it.
1: I, I can tell you what they didn't send in Metroid 2, a fucking camera that can zoom out. So. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: but yeah,
3: I, I think it's definitely going to be in first-person, it's going to look great and everything, uh, but it's going to be even more shooty than uh, Metroid Prime 3.
0: So they're gonna make it more like Halo. Ah, uh, maybe. Because Halo know. four really does look like a Metroid Prime game. It really does. But it doesn't play like Metroid well, what Prime. What about at all?
1: like Republic Commando, which obviously has a quite a large number of Metroid Prime influences, but is also a squad based shooter. And and, right. and to be honest, the Republic Commandos are pretty much the same thing as the Federation soldiers.
3: Well, I, I've never played those games, uh, but, yeah, like the the whole squad based thing, I wasn't really thinking of uh, a multiplayer game. That's no, more of a. It's, I, it's, I, I it's, picture it more like a kind of a, an alien type of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the Commando, or Republic Commando is a good example because it really isn't multiplayer. There are four members of your squad and they're all different. And they all have skills and stuff, and, and guess in your case, they all get killed. Because Guillaume, <laughs> hate, Guillaume hates your friends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do, I actually do like, I, not, not, this isn't what Guillaume specifically predicted, but I would like a variation on that where it is, you do start with a squad and one of them is Samus. So you start Ooh, out and you're thinking, the damn it, they're doing that thing from Prime 3, where they put all these dumb characters in there. But over the course of the game, all the other characters get killed off one by one. And so by the end of it, it's turned into a traditional Metroid game where you're the only one left. And because you've gone through this process, everything is way creepier and more foreboding than, than ever before. I could, hmm. I, I mean, that would be cool. I'm not saying that's <laughs> but gonna can happen.
4: Do we get but that
1: to would hear cool. about the baby?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm not even thinking about like a whole lot of metroid elements i i really hmm. so
1: you're uh, thinking uh, it's it's set in the universe but that's pretty much it
3: yeah in that yep. case would
0: it would it be i mean i could see them making um a more uh a more populist modern first person shooter but mm-hmm. i in that case i think they might just forego the whole metroid franchise and just cr- try to create some new ip
3: <laughs> Let's move on to the next prediction. Um, okay, so uh, this year Nintendo has released five Mario games uh, a few more from Mario Party nine to uh, news of our Mario Brothers U. <laughs> so uh, I I think they're gonna go a little bit less heavy on the Mario this year and uh, I, I originally wrote three but I think two like a maximum of two. Mario titles.
1: Just two, Mark. Two games with the
0: word Mario in the title.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that does not include Luigi's mention.
1: Okay. I, I
3: think that what we're going to see probably this year are Mario Kart, which would be a yeah. priority for Nintendo. Yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Uh, they want to get that out as quickly as possible because it's going to sell for years to come. I'm not sure if we're going to see a 3D platformer. I, I, I'm really not sure. I think it's a little bit too early. Uh, I, I think that perhaps we're going to see some Mario sports title. Perhaps hmm. this is not really part of my prediction. Perhaps they're going to make it, you know, a sport that's really well adapted to the tablet, such as, uh, Mario curling with sweeping action on the
1: touch screen. <laughs> Available uh... only in Canada. <laughs>
0: Mario curling. It's going uh... it's going to come
1: with the Wii Mini. But yeah, it only Canada.
0: plays on the Wii Mini.
1: But only in Canada. If you if you cross into Detroit, that thing self-destructs. <laughs>
3: uh, but I, I think some sort of uh, Mario... Well, although now I'm saying basically two Mario games on the Wii U, so maybe I want to fix that prediction. Uh, we'll, we're going to see one. Like, we're going to see Mario Kart on the Wii U and something on 3DS. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, all right well my third prediction is pretty close to what uh, James already predicted um i I think that the uh, kind of dearth of 3 d s games at last e3 is just gonna go on. <laughs> it's not going to get really much better uh at least for the american publishers uh, i I don't see them you know, I don't see the indifference stopping anytime soon uh i I do think it's going to be a very big year for Atlas and Exceed. I I think that we can't really expect much from Capcom other than Monster Hunter. I think they're going to stay safe again. Like, and to
1: ignore Mega Man, you bastards.
3: Yeah. When you think back of the DS, like, that Capcom was a lot more experimental with what they released initially. Yeah. And then it was just like Ace Attorney games.
0: But Capcom had a bad year in 2012
3: in general. They did. And they
1: earned it. They earned every bit of that bad year. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so I, I do think that they're experimental. Like, they tried Resident Evil on their 3DS. They they tried uh, Street Fighter, which was a success. But I I think they're going to kind of uh, uh, retreat back to the safe stuff like Monster Hunter on 3DS and not really release anything else. So that's going to leave the, the way more open for Atlas and XC to become, like, two probably... It's strange to say, but two of the biggest publishers for 3DS outside of Nintendo.
0: You but I, you don't mean in terms of, like, numbers of copies sold, but in, in terms
3: no, of, No, like... I mean, like, in number of releases. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay.
1: and what, what frustrates me about, I mean, to the Capcom point is we know they have a really cool game that's in Japan. They're just not going to release here because they're stubborn.
0: EX Troopers.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which apparently is great, but... Fuck you if you don't live in Japan. Yep.
0: I think that could I, – I think there's a chance that like a, maybe it's – I think it's about 50-50 that game coming out in the
1: West. I mean, I just don't know what else they're going to release. I mean they've they've pretty much – if it's not Monster Hunter, they've pretty much said eh. But you know, EX Troopers does have a lot of things in common with Monster Hunter. So it's... They
0: are stupid if they don't make a Mega Man for 3DS.
1: <laughs> they are stupid though. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. There we is know-
0: clearly a demand for it. There's clearly a demand for it, and that's a that's the cheapest place they can make it and make it good.
1: How many eShop games are there that are Mega Man clones at this point?
0: Yeah, plenty. I mean, if you you know count Mighty Switch Force and Mutant Muds and Gun I would and Clive. count Mighty Switch
1: Force if it was as good as the worst Mega Man game, but it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Mega Man Eight.
3: Yeah, it's just that when you look at XSeed, <laughs> they 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 did use. I, I think that what was their biggest year for. DS. Oh, this
1: year this is I mean for oh for DS, uh about two years ago they had a few games in a row. I think I reviewed like three of them.
3: I think they had a whole bunch of stuff like in two thousand and ten. But then they moved more and more towards PSP. They did. Uh but but now like PSP is <laughs> you know, you don't it, it's really done and uh like they don't really have anywhere else to go to but three D S. Like they're not gonna <laughs> move to the Vita no one's gonna move to the Vita. No,
4: yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. They're gonna move yeah, away. Yeah, 2011. From Vita. They had Solo to Robo. They had oh crap. They had about three other games. Which, yeah. which for them to release four games of the year for them is is huge. I mean, it's a tiny company.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I do think that the only thing like we're gonna get a lot, a lot of uh, announcements from them this year. They're just like waiting for Japanese developers to to make some RPGs <laughs> before they can announce localizing them. It's gonna happen though. Three 3DS is
0: has yeah. turned out oh, to absolutely. be a huge hit in Japan and the RPGs are in the pipeline I'm telling you.
1: But like Access is another company that's done really well just bringing over you know a handful of niche games for the 3DS platform or for Vita or PSP mm-hmm. or whatever system you want to talk about. I mean that's that's their entire business model at this point. Yeah. Is they pick out niche Japanese game and mm-hmm. pay nothing for it, localize it, do a decent job localizing it and sell it.
0: They're working hmm. designs. I, I love that the, the legacy of working designs lives yeah. on in companies that do a better job of it than they ever did. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, working designs. If you if you're not familiar with them, they they were a publisher in the '90s who brought over awesome obscure Japanese games and had this boutique publishing industry where they would make these lavish collector's editions of games like Lunar and some of the um, um, some of the treasure games, uh, some of the shooters. And they Rhapsody, uh, ultimately eventually RPG. started running into problems where they were over-localizing games or trying to change them too much. They were tweaking gameplay. They were you know, just getting into a bunch of uh, of bad business deals. But at the time, there was no one else doing anything close to that. Mm-hmm. And I love that, the, that now there are multiple companies essentially doing the exact same thing, but they're doing a better job of it. And they're doing it in a way that they can sustain as a business and, and keep going. I love it. And they're competing with each other, which makes them better at what they do.
1: And one of the things about those – I'd say there's about four companies that are involved in it right now is that they do compete with each other. But they're also – they're very actively engaged with their fan bases. Mm-hmm. They run very active social media campaigns. But they're also actively engaged with each other's fan bases. Like they'll, they'll, speak, like they'll speak well of each other's games if there's one – like when Tales of the Sky came out, like some of them were like, oh, I wish we had gotten that game. I think the reason that companies like this are able to be successful is because the people they hire don't just care about games, but care about these games. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when we went – so I guess I was the only person here who went to it, but a handful of us went to XSeed's office in 2011 during the e, or right before E3. And one of the things they said, and they've said it before and they've said it since then, is that when they have a game that they bring in to decide if they want to do it, they vote on it, as a company. They vote, do we want to do this game? It's not just like, hey guys, we've got a cheap license, let's do it. They they really care about the work they're doing. And that I think that you can really tell the difference. And I think that's, awesome. that's what yeah. makes and it that's what makes it good and that's what that's what gives you a good hope that games that like these companies bring over are gonna be good. Or at yeah. least they're gonna be decent. And freaking uh ragnarok online ds game was not... <laughs> well, so guillaume
0: did you did you have any other predictions nope
1: uh that was it cool
0: all right i'm gonna run through mine um so uh, this is similar but different to something you said guillaume uh, i think this year we are going to hear about uh, retro studios new game i don't i don't think anyone is even going to argue that we have to hear about what retro studios is doing i think that game will be metroid prime 4 they might put a different subtitle on it, but it will effectively be Metroid Prime Four, um, and uh, and the world will rejoice, and I will no, be there except with for them, me. except for James. But <laughs> I will rejoice. I think um, I, I think uh, other M was uh, an admirable experiment that failed in some ways. It's not a bad game, and it's easy to laugh I about. Like it. The,
3: yeah, There's yeah. lots
0: of hilarious things about that game, but it is a good game. And I enjoyed it uh, for what it is, but it is nowhere close to as good as the Metroid Prime series. And I think, um uh you know, after doing Donkey Kong and some track designs for Mario Kart, I think Retro is probably ready to jump back into a big, meaty, complicated, more mature kind of game. And um, th- there's a lot of other places, and they probably have been experimenting over the past couple years. And I would hope probably so some of those experiments didn't work out and probably some of them will turn into ideas that will be manifest in uh in the new Metroid Prime game. But I think that's what we're going to see and I think Nintendo will feel strongly whether right or wrong, but they will feel strongly that announcing a new Metroid Prime in HD for the Wii U is really going to change the fortunes of that system. Um and uh We'll see if it works out, but I do think that game will be announced. And uh while I'm announcing games in the future, I think Final Fantasy XV is going to be announced, and it's coming to 3DS. It may not be exclusive to 3DS. It might even come out on Vita. It might be this kind of multi-platform thing, but I think it will be for 3DS... Maybe in addition to other systems. You, you um, know,
1: I, I would say they haven't even finished the uh, the second half of the thirteen duo. What is it, thirteen verses or whatever they're calling it? <laughs>
0: but that game is okay. So, so thirteen verses probably canceled at this point.
1: <laughs> and who knows? Uh, and they're I mean, and it's... they're
0: wrapping up the third Final Fantasy
1: thirteen. So, I think...
0: The, well, because they're milking that engine. They spent millions and millions and millions on that engine.
1: That, that's where I was going, though. They built this really fucking expensive engine that they had to make two games. They fought just to cover it. Mm-hmm. And then one of those games goes into development hell for almost a decade. And then they start making sequels to a game that everybody's kind of eh, about to yeah, begin but, with. James, I think. I let, think w- – hold on, let me finish. I okay. think that the cost of making those games is what makes your prediction most likely. Yeah, or
0: more well, likely, and, and here's the and here's the other piece to it. In Japan, 3ds just surpassed PS3 lifetime sales. Yes, so did. making a game where PS3 or even PS4 is the lead platform in Japan, there no CEO can look at the at the install base for these systems and tell me that it's a that it's a good idea to make an incredibly expensive, risky proposition Final Fantasy sequel yeah. on the new, super expensive HD system what? versus 3DS, which is already has a huge fan base in Japan.
2: And you know they're not
1: making it for the next Xbox.
4: No. I'd look, <laughs>
1: look, the Xbox is home of awesome strategy RPG games where you have to mate with your uh, counterparts in order to produce the upcoming generations. Yes, uh, sign me fine. up.
0: I think FF13 <laughs> did fine on mm-hmm. 360 in the West. <laughs> um, but I, I really do think if they want to continue making main sh- main line numbered final fantasy games and they do, they're going to get FF 14 relaunched, which is very important to their corporate pride and their yeah. bottom and ultimately their bottom line. Cause they can make money on that game if they actually do it right. They are looking forward to the next numbered final fantasy game and it, 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 It'll probably be called Fifteen, because fuck it at this point. And I really think this will be a portable game. It might be 3DS and Vita, but it will definitely be on 3DS.
1: It's going to be called 8-2. It's going to have <laughs> nothing to do with Final Fantasy 8. <laughs>
0: Um I think we... I, although I think we might see some kind of um, new trailer for uh, Zelda on Wii U at E3. Uh, and when we do, it might have a new art style that will look a lot different than the sort of... Yeah. Sort of realistic Zelda trailer that they showed last year. Really, that was two years ago. It was
1: two years ago, because I was there, yeah. Yeah. It was 2011. They really
0: didn't, didn't say anything about Zelda last uh-uh. year, did they? Um, so I think they have been working on that, and I think they might show a trailer for it, but I think the 3DS Zelda is gonna come first, and that will be a much bigger focus than the Wii U one, and I think the 3DS Zelda might be some kind of revival or revisit to Link's Awakening because Ooh. Link's Awakening is one of the most beloved uh Zelda games. You know, uh, you can't argue with that. There's just we, tons of people who a still say it's We had a debate about it last
1: one. week about whether or not Maron's an interesting character, so go ahead. There you go.
0: So b- bring her back. Um I think it will – it's not going to be called Link's Awakening 2 – But it will be very clearly... Get the
1: fuck up, Link! God, it's almost (laughs) noon.
0: I I think it will be very clearly some kind of spiritual successor to Link's Awakening, because that's also a game that people directly associate with playing on a portable system. Yep. And uh, it will recapture some version of the art style, you know, but of course updated... And uh and people will get super excited ex- excited it, about it. Will
1: it keep the semi goofiness of that game? I mean, there's a lot of goofy stuff in Link's Awakening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Zombie
1: blue flying chickens. Yeah.
0: Um Whereas the the Wii U one might look like Wind Waker. It might look like something totally different. But um I think we're going to see less of the console game because that's probably still a 2014 game. I think the 3DS game is a 2013 game. That's the one of the big holiday games for 2013. Um, and and we will definitely hear about that. Top down. Year. Um, I think Dragon Quest X will finally come to the West. It's not going to be a huge deal, unfortunately. Um, It's just going to be kind of a secondary, you know, second tier game release. Um, Nintendo will probably publish it themselves because Square are, are really cowardly about publishing Dragon Quest games in the, in the West. But uh, it will come out eventually. You know, it's all—it's coming out very soon in Japan for yep. Wii U, and of course, uh, Nintendo of America is waiting for the Wii U version because it certainly doesn't make sense to release the Wii version at this point. So they're waiting for that one, and then they're going to start localizing it. It'll probably come out before the end of the year. Uh, and finally, I think Wii U will um, be fairly slow in the West in twenty twelve in twenty thirteen. Uh, it, it had a, a strong enough start, but there's not enough. Super exciting stuff on the horizon to, uh, to keep that system selling well. And uh, I think it's gonna, it's gonna see a significant sales slump. Um, but it will be pretty strong in Japan. I think it will be surprisingly strong in Japan because I think people in Japan are not really waiting for PS4. They certainly don't give a shit about the new Xbox.
4: <laughs> and,
0: um, and the Wii although Wii was maybe relatively more popular in the West than it ever was in Japan just because of the whole console versus handheld thing, Wii was still a huge hit in Japan. And I think Nintendo in Japan, they have a little more license to find ways to market it and make it more of a mainstream success. Uh, Whereas in America, they're going to have a more difficult time, and Europe, they're going to have a more difficult time making people understand why they would want a Wii U But in Japan, um, because of the way Japanese households are set up and the way people play games there locally, um, they're going to have more success there. And uh, Wii U is going to do really well in Japan, which ultimately is good for the rest of the world, too, as games go into development in order to support that region and then eventually filter elsewhere. So that's, that's my last prediction.
1: I've got one more just for the sake of that, then. We're going to get to hear all about the Japanese exchange rate in press releases. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet.
0: right? Probably about uh, end of March. It's going to... Early April. We're going to hear all about the uh, the value of the yen. Uh, so, John, you're last up, man.
2: Uh, all right. I think uh, my first one, I think that we're going to see We Music U announced at E3. We Music. We <laughs> Music. Yep, I think it's going to be... Uh, I think they're going to... Use MeVerse to, you know, get people sharing their stuff that they create. That could um, be
0: kind of cool.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to actually be an improvement <laughs> on the series. Possibly, I think that they, I think with uh, what we you can do, I think they can actually make it into something more than just a glorified toy. They can actually make mm-hmm. it more, more of an experience.
3: I actually think that we might see something closer to Mario Paint. Ooh. You know, it would have mm-hmm. tools for music, but it would also be mostly for drawing.
2: Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Yep. I just, I think definitely, I think we're going to see kind of more, um, more of a focus from Nintendo on sharing what you create. You know, kind of something, because that's something that's really not being done elsewhere. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, Sony and, and, and Microsoft are definitely kind of, you know, they have games that do it, but really they don't do it on a kind of platform level. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. their platforms aren't built to do it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think that's that's one thing we're going to see. Uh, also, I think we're going to see kind of a streamlined uh, Wii U gamepad announced at E3, maybe with some better battery life. Uh, um, see, I
0: think that's of 2014. I, I think, you think you're
2: so? on the mark, but I yeah. think it's too early for that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, you're too prescient. <laughs>
3: <laughs> too far ahead of my time.
2: Um, well, maybe, maybe how's about this? How's about that will be announced by the end of the year, maybe not E3?
3: Mm,
0: I could see that, especially in that weird, um, in that weird, that week after Christmas when Japan really likes to announce giant shit.
1: <laughs> Here's a Nintendo Direct that you probably wish you knew about a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. well, fuck you too.
2: Um, <laughs> I think that we'll see Modern Warfare four announced for Wii U. It's not really too much of a reach at all, but I think definitely, I think that's going to be coming. I think Black Ops two did well enough. Um, it actually sold, compared to how many Wii U's were actually out there on the market at the time, it actually did pretty well. I actually, I think it sold to about 8% of Wii U's out there, compared to like about 10% of Xbox 360's. Of course, Xbox 360, massive user base, but I mean, I was actually surprised. At first, I, was, I assumed that it hadn't sold very well, Black Ops 2, but
1: actually, you know, it actually hmm. sold pretty well on Wii U, comparatively for the size of the install base. Yeah. Hmm. And keep in mind, getting, that may not seem like a huge percent, but any game that gets that kind of percent that's not a Nintendo game is considered a victory.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's big. And I I mean, that's what third parties want to see, right? I mean, they don't really care. They just want to see, you know, they they just want to see copies fly off the shelves. They don't really, you know, that's all they care about. So that was good. I was actually happy to see that. Um, My other prediction uh, that I will uh, not plan on buying Pokemon X or Y, but I will buy it after being pressured by Carly Young. Um, <laughs> to be fair, you weren't
1: really pressured. It was more like, "John, you should totally buy this," and you're like, "I'm not going to buy that." And then you caved. Yes. And you caved so shamefully. You did it before we woke up in the morning. <laughs> I did. I, I went to the to in the, the nearest... dark of
0: night. He yeah. snuck away. I to did buy I, the game.
2: I, I went. I went to Target and uh, yeah, in the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, that's
1: not being pressured. That was more like having no self-control. that, that,
2: that, that is true. I up and to not have self-control, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm oh, also man. uh I'm also uh with Johnny uh in predicting Metroid Prime 4 or a new perhaps a new trilogy. I don't I'm not really too sure exactly what they're going to do with it. Uh, yeah, but they, th- may,
0: they may not call it 4, but it will be effectively 4.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's going to be uh, They're gonna call it a trilogy. <laughs> I think there, there's gonna be <laughs> there's gonna be more focus on the online component. I think there will be online multiplayer of some sort. Um, I feel like it almost is is kind of this. I, I feel like it almost kind of has to at this point because I feel like other first person shooters have um, stepped up their campaigns to the point where you know Metroid really really should have some sort of online multiplayer, and it also keeps people coming back and you know. In terms of being able to monetize a game, it, it seems to work pretty well for Call of Duty. So, but, uh, but yep, that's what I got.
0: Very cool. All right, guys. Well, those are our predictions for uh, 2013. And, uh, that's going to wrap up this segment. So, I do want to remind everyone that we're going to be doing our games of the year next week, our top five games of 2012. Those will be personal lists. Each one of us will do our own top five. And I'm uh, really looking forward to hearing about that, especially from John. Hey, did you play five games in 2020? I'm telling you,
2: did my top did five. Did you play all, games in 2020? All Atari 2600 games. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Starting number one, Combat. Oh my no! Combat is the best. It is, no doubt. It is. It is the best. Yeah. Kaboom might all, might be on there as well. Kaboom.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm I'm very excited for that. I've been cramming. I've been trying to to play a couple things and. Uh, that's going to be a good discussion. Um, we aren't planning to do emails within the next couple of weeks, probably, because we're going to be doing the retroactive live, uh, very soon after that. But, uh, you never know. We're not told, we don't have the schedule completely nailed down yet. Uh, so just to be safe, you should probably send in an email to, uh, rfn at com. We would love to hear what you thought of our predictions. Next week, we'd love to hear what you thought about our, uh, picks for games of the year. And, uh, of course, you should uh, be playing Majora's Mask and be ready for that, because that is coming up faster than you think. It's been probably a little more delayed uh, than I originally expected, but I think it's all going to work out beautifully to do it in late January, uh, now that we've got John back on here. We're going to try to get Billy on for that show, and uh, we're going to try to convince Guillaume that he's actually having fun playing it. And, <laughs> if uh, I, If I gonna...
3: play the Song of Time backwards, do I have a month to play through it? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> get your ass in gear
3: you've had two months to play <laughs> Um, and uh,
0: also before we go I wanted to throw out a quick pitch we uh, got an email from our friend Pete he has written into the show he's a very long time listener and uh, he is organizing an event to raise money for child's play which obviously we fully support and uh, Pete and some of his buddies are doing a thing called Tales of Charity and, uh, they're playing, uh, as a marathon, uh, they're playing through the entirety of Tales of Symphonia for GameCube, which is a wonderful game. Lots of fans here on the show and probably among the audience as well of Tales of Symphonia. And, uh, they are uh, trying to raise money. So you can find them at, uh, Tales of Charity on Twitter or go to facebook.com slash Tales of Charity. And we will put links to those in the show article. So if you, if you're a fan of Tales of Symphonia, Or if you just want to support a great uh, charity and uh, get involved with a cool event there, definitely look into that stuff. And uh, we thank Pete for uh, letting us know about it. That event is taking place between January 18th and January 20th. So it's coming up pretty soon after this podcast goes up. Uh, So please don't delay. Go check out the links to that and uh, find out more about it. And uh, please support those guys. And please support Child's Play. So that's all for this week. Uh, I thought it was a great reintroduction of John Lindemann okay. and we're looking forward to having you back again next week, John.
2: It's good to be back Johnny.
0: Alrighty. So uh, that's it for all of us here on Radio Free Nintendo and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye later later bye. they find that he is either unable or unwilling to provide additional granularity as to why that is his his desire
0: granularity
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> i have
0: to stop you because people were making fun of you last week when you said
1: that sorry don't care it's granular <laughs> fine
0: i'm doing There's i'm saving you from a
1: granularity <laughs> fine <laughs>
2: I'm gonna edge my on the on the granularity. <laughs> edge
0: Make Hate, yeah. <laughs> you sound like Don King. <laughs> Great. It's gonna be the most grandula fight ever.
1: <laughs> it will be. <laughs> Fine. He refuses to provide or is unable to provide additional details as to why this is what he desires.